I'm Chad Bokelman, and this is the Action Comics Weekly Podcast. Episode 605. Hey everybody and welcome back to episode 605 of the Action Comics Weekly Podcast, a podcast lovingly devoted to the DC Comics series of the same name published from 1988 to 1989. I'm your host Chad Bokelman and joining me throughout the life of this podcast will be a semi-regular rotating cast of guest hosts from across the comics podcasting, blogging, and fan community. Welcome back to the show, guys. Sorry, this one is also late. The closer we get towards the end of the year, the more busy things get out in the real world. Most likely, and most notably, my job. So, unfortunately, this one is also late. But we got two more episodes to go before the hiatus. So, the hiatus is designed to fix these things. I'm going to recalculate, reevaluate, restructure. The podcast will re- probably sound relatively the same after your the hiatus is over in November and December, but hopefully there will be more consistency, better quality, uh, as well as, I don't know, more fun, more laughs, more information. Um, and hopefully... You know, maybe I might even just change the day it releases. Still a bi-weekly podcast, um, but maybe instead of Fridays I release on Tuesdays or something. I'm going to have to do some serious digging and looking into how exactly I want to do this and what is absolutely needed to fix the problems I've encountered so far. And last episode, even though I tried to keep the intro short, we ran a little longer than I wanted to go. So... Without further ado, you tuned in to listen to the Action Comics Weekly Podcast, and you've been very, very, very kind to me and not pushing me to release it or mad at me for not releasing it when I said I would. So instead of drawing things on any further, welcome to this, the fifth episode of the Action Comics Weekly Podcast. Alright guys, we are fresh into 6.05 and back from break, so we are talking Green Lantern since it starts off the comic yet again, and since I'm talking Green Lantern, I've got my co-host from the Lantern cast aboard yet one more time, at the very least, uh, for some more Green Lantern shenanigans. So, Mark, welcome back, dude. Even though it sounds like you're you're putting me out to pasture real soon, Chad. (laughs) See you later, this is it. The the non-subtlety there was pretty strong. Oh. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Myron from Blog of Oa, you're up. <laughs> oh, that's who I'm being better deals for. Hey, okay, I, 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 I can at least accept can accept that then. Oh man! All right. Uh, so no preamble, and we are straight into uh, the the next story. So what happens, man? <laughs> right now, I don't feel like telling you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this is how I treat people, Myron. <laughs> Keep your eye I know. out. His co-host. This is how he treats people. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. So let's Golgotha. Is that correct? Golgotha. Ah. 
Golgotha. Yes. Okay. I got the gold part right. Uh, that's so. I'm not saying it again. So that's the episode of the. That's that, that's the issue title. The story title. <laughs> for everybody listening, don't blame Mark for that because the Lantern Cast, if you don't know, is historic for being horrible at pronouncing for pronouncing, just like that, pronouncing <laughs> things related Golgotha? to comics. Golgotha, yeah. correct? Golgotha. Yeah. Golgotha. Okay. <laughs> like for, for years we had, well, not we, but J- Jim and Dan had issues trying to figure out how to pronounce Yvonne Hayes. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Uh, Golgotha. Golgotha. <laughs> so every, every page I'll be saying this so I can get it right. <laughs> uh, that's, the, that's the story title. James Owsley, writer, Gil Kane, penciler, Don Simpson, inker, Albert de Guzman, letterer, Anthony Tallinn, colorist, and Denny O'Neill, editor. So pretty much continuing the creative team that we just t- did in the last issue. So we begin at it in the graveyard, and we have Carol Ferris going, hey, her name is Carol Ferris. She's dead. Well, good night, everybody. <laughs> but, of course, we find out that... Uh, you know, Carol's pretty much talking to her little star sapphire gem. It's like, oh, it's so nice to have you around. And go, go, kind of going back into her background about being the queen. But it's, it's it's amazing how it can do anything that I want and reorganize my you know matter as well as I, you know, in any way I desire. You know, so it can basically help me fake my own death. And it's like, look, there, I've sealed my grave up so nicely. And then, of course, now it's time to shed you know <laughs> this mortal form and basically take her, her more appropriate guise as... Dun dun dun! Star Sapphire, kind of still looking like a little bit more like the uh, Budika kind of look about her at this point. <laughs> not not as a little more, a little more old, definitely old school Star Sapphire. She's kind of being cocky. It's like oh, I've it's over. I've won. I've beaten Hal Jordan, and no one will ever see him again. And all of a sudden, she there's a light that distracts her at, at the graveyard, and she sees this weird, this weird looking alien. It's like, and she, she's like really caught <laughs> caught off guard by this but of course it's a perfect time for another out of the blue segue <laughs> now we go back to Hal who really looks like he's, be- he's beaten to hell so Hal is in this other is this barren planetoid that supposedly exists outside of time and space and yada yada and this is Golgotha cha-ching <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so Hal's just kind of he's kind of like stuck at this place and He's stuck at the, I think, the, what the southern, the southern pole. I think they said the southern magnetic pole. So pretty much, Hal, since he's physically chained down there, is just in a perfect position to keep getting struck by lightning over and over again. Not enough to kill him, just enough to hurt him real bad. And and Hal's kind of like Carol, good one. <laughs> and Hal's like, oh, it's like if you know, if I had my ring, maybe I could get out of here. Then right on cue, somehow his ring is able to. Because John Stewart abandoned the ring and threw it down and told it to go find Hal again at the end of the last story. There it is. The ring finally somehow managed to go through other dimensions in time and find find its way here. And Hal's like, yeah, I can get out of here. All I have to do is concentrate my and use my will. And time for another great segue. <laughs> go back to the graveyard. And Carol's trying to communicate with this alien you know, through her gym. The alien's just not doing anything. Uh, she's like really getting agitated at this point as the, as the alien starts hovering in the air. It's like you better t- you better talk to me or else I'm going to kill you where you stand. And at that moment, the uh, <clears throat> the alien kind of pulls the star sapphire gem to its 
little alien, <laughs> little alien hand and speaks in a strange tongue and blasts Carol. And Carol kind of goes flying in that classic, like, Gil Kane pose of being, <laughs> of being sent reeling. So we still have no idea what's going on with the alien at this point. Back in Golgotha, cha-ching, Hal is, Hal is there, still dizzy. The, the ring half works, so on the bright side, it works just enough to keep him awake, but it can't protect him from the bolts. So in a way, it's even worse. Because, I mean, he's kind of—he's more cognizant of what's going on, but that may not be better as he keeps getting hit by lightning. And now we kind of keep going. We have a—this kind of goes on for a few pages, actually, of Hal trying to uh, try to figure out the best way to get out of here. It's like, like, hey, it's like you know, you know, in a way, this this isn't so bad because my ring's charge is never going to expire because time really has no meaning here. And he's trying to th- figure out if I can muster enough well, I can get out of here. And yeah, that's the good part of it. And then how this is kind of a, a nice little, a parallax, nice <laughs> reference here. It's like, wait, what if I'm right? What if I will be able to get it together after my mind snaps? Time is no meaning here. My ring, like I'm, I mentioned, my ring is like, it will still have its charge. I'll be a raving lunatic with ultimate power. <laughs> like Carol, he points out. It's like, I can't let that happen. He tries to cut the chain again, and of course that still doesn't work. Uh, <laughs> I like the way when he tries to create <laughs> the green energy hacksaw. That doesn't work. Then Hal pretty much says, well, uh, it's like, then, then, then Hal kind of like hulks up <laughs> and, and, and uses uses his willpower <laughs> to try to, through the ring to kind of like more or less use raw, raw physical power, and somehow that, <laughs> that enables him to finally break his chains. And of course, conveniently enough, Hal's power battery is there, as he as he as he describes it. Now to materialize my lantern battery. Good thing I instructed my ring to bring the invisible battery along with it wherever it went. <laughs> and he goes, "Time stands still, so my ring probably doesn't need a charge, but I need a charge." More or less, Hal needs a confidence boost. He says the grand, Green Lantern oath, and he goes, "All right, lady, now it's rematch time." Now we now we cut back to Earth and Carol's kind of like clearing her head after being blasted by the alien, and we find out that it really wasn't an alien that blasted her at all. It was Hal, it was Hal pretending to be an alien, and he was able to somehow pull Carol's star sapphire gem to him. And Carol's like, "Hey, Hal, look out behind you!" And go, he's like, "Come on, Carol, you can do better than everything." Everything goes to black. Carol's gone. Yeah, you know, Hal. You know, how pretty much, you know, was kind of like in some form of suspended animation momentarily. And she, he, he's thinking to himself, whatever this was, it was powerful enough to beat Carol and zap me. You know, it could, it also could be a, you know, a proved to be a formidable foe someday. And yet, why do I have the suspicion or the sinking suspicion? The war is over. <laughs> Next issue, the list. Holy <laughs> anti-climax, Batman. <laughs> um... Some weird pacing in this one. A little better <laughs> bring, story. Bring, bring back John Stewart testifying. That's all I have to say. <laughs> um, Golgotha. That's I'm, all I have to say. You know, and I was just about to say that it's it's weird that they called it Golgotha. I mean, it's. I'm assuming we're going to come back to this place in this story and figure out more about this planet, the lightning, any of this stuff. Unless it's part of like Green Lantern history from another story a long time ago, and they were just picking up there. But 
Golgotha is a famous place. Like, and known for something very, very specific. So when you name your story and the planet where Hal is chained and tortured, it brings back some very... And, and not to mention the <clears throat> splash page is in a graveyard with some, you know... I don't know if you would necessarily call this uh, headstone particularly a religious symbol, but it, you know, juxtaposed against the words Golgotha, definitely has some connotations to it, but I don't feel anything in particular that it's hinting at outside of that, like in the story. So I'm trying to figure out why they called it Golgotha in the first place. I'm not sure. I don't have any pearls of wisdom to why they would have they would have chosen that. This alien's freaking me out. <laughs> you mean the Hal alien? Yeah, this. Uh, if you because if you look when when he first pops up next to Carol, you see that hole in his back. Yes. I feel like we should like he should come in a in a, in a blister pack with like some uh, detachable wings and guns and. <laughs> <laughs> stuff like that and plus it looks like he's wearing a onesie <laughs> yeah that's true uh, <laughs> he's kind of cute for an alien though but um, uh, the fact that he's easily able to overcome the power of the Zamron gem is interesting <laughs> considering how well he did two issues ago yeah but now he's upset. Now Hal doesn't really. Now Hal doesn't really care that this is his former, his main squeeze. Now he's just looking to <laughs> break his foot off in her ass. <laughs> oh man. Um. Oh. It, it, <laughs> I, all right. Never mind. I just realized this. Um. So the alien is meant to be Hal then. Yes. I did not realize that until just now. Did they make that crystal clear at the end? I think so. Let me go back. Let me go back to. Let me go back to that page now. Caught me napping. My powering led me right to you. Mm, maybe not. Maybe not. But he. But he. But he has the. But he has the sapphire though. So unless. But then again, maybe let's go back to the to the way they described the very ending. Maybe, so, let's go back and read that. That that last little thing. Uh. Let's see, was Carol, let's see. Maybe not. Maybe Hal wasn't the alien. Yeah. See. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I think the way they draw it, it makes it. I think that's why I reacted to that because that's kind of like almost where we saw the alien last, almost in that same exact pose. But I think, I think, looking at it now, I think what supposedly, I think what really did happen, is that you know the the alien kind of kind of zonked zonked out Carol, and it took the staff and it and it. But the question is that I guess we're supposed to assume if it's not Hal, he just left the uh, just left the sapphire there, the stone there. I'm assuming, or he sensed Hal coming, dropped the stone, hid, and then got the better of both of them. I yeah, I guess I guess that I I would probably have to say that's that's that makes sense. Hmm. But it, it it is a it's weird the way that it kind of is structured. Speaking of weird structuring, uh, I know this is kind of a staple. Like the the way comics have is have evolved, we we went through you know uh, excessive narration uh, panels, uh, then we went to thought balloons, 
sort of providing the same function than characters speaking out loud, doing the exact same thing, uh, doing exposition. Uh, uh, and then we have, you know, back to narration bubbles. I feel like the this first panel where we see how the almost triangle-looking panel should be mostly narration bubble. I just think it, it I think it looks weird as Hal's inner thoughts. I certainly I I would say certainly Cause it at, says, least ha- at least what? half of it probably. You're right. Maybe you're right. Maybe at least like like that first panel or first few panels could have been could have just been description as opposed to yeah. thoughts. Especially this first this first panel and welcome to Golgotha, the end spot of the universe. Golgotha, a barren planetoid that exists outside of the time continuum. Hours are like weeks, minutes like days. Air's real thick, smells like the east side landfill. Like maybe right maybe like a couple of these could be Hal's inner thoughts right. kind of laced with with narration boxes. But again, I know it's kind of like a staple of the times that we just kind of completely did away for the most part with narration boxes and comics for a little while and then had only the only time we ever really kept them was, you know, to denote, you know, places and times. Um but like I just I don't know, I just it it, it it read weird as Hal's thoughts, but maybe yeah. I'm re- maybe I'm reaching there. Well, there's a lot of it too, and I think that yeah. it, it's it's messy from a from a visual point of view. Also, it's messy. Yeah, and I've had I've had some people, um, you know, comment on on this Green Lantern story in the feedback that, you know, it, it's. Yeah, it, it, they they kind of identify with us and some some defend it and some don't. It's just that I think my main problem with it is the fact that it's Gil Kane art. It confuses me too much. Like it's I'm reading a comic from the late '80s, but drawn by Gil Kane, and it's not just drawn by Gil Kane. It's a Green Lantern story drawn by Gil Kane. So I cannot help. Like as I read this, putting myself in the mind of '60s Green Lantern stories. I like, can understand that. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what it is, but I. I cannot. I, no matter how hard I actually, and I do. I actually try. No matter how hard I try, I cannot divorce that from my mind enough to just read this in the space of this is an '80s comic. The Gil Kane art on Green Lantern just immediately makes me think of a more candy, silver agey, fun, alien, you know, goofy little story instead of taking it in any sort of seriousness. And I don't know if maybe that might have been some people's the people who had a problem with Green Lantern in Action Comics Weekly, they, that might have been part of their problem is even though they were supposedly, you know, reading this as it came out in the eighties. They too see Gil Kane on Green Lantern and go, "Oh, is this supposed to be like a flashback or like that?" It's so hard to not think of the '60s in that tone of Silver Age story when you're reading this and seeing the art of Gil Kane on Green Lantern. I cannot help myself. I can understand that. I agree. Yeah, it's just it's just uh, it's just so weird. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I'm I'm trying hard, but it's just it's just so, so. And it doesn't help that the story jumps and there's some some things that aren't clear. Um, 
I don't know. It's just it's just odd. Now I I almost felt like this lightning was sentient. Like, it could have been. Like it if it, it almost seemed like every time Hal was trying to have some hope or force himself to keep going, that's when a lightning strike would happen. Like when we first see him, he's laying down and then he starts to slowly get up and then he's struck by lightning. Okay? The next time he's struck by lightning, he's getting up and he's like, hmm, I wonder if crazy people focus better under stress. Maybe I'll be able to break free once my mind snap. Lightning bolt. Then he creates a pair of pliers, construct pliers to try and break the chains. Lightning bolt. I do think we're supposed to take it that, you know, because as when Hal mentions the magnetic pole, the magnetic field, and that he's a, like basically a living a lightning rod, that I think we're supposed to just assume that that's part of that was part of Carol's thing, just putting him in a place where he, she knew, you know, setting him up more or less where he she knew he was going to get blasted like fairly regularly. So it may may not necessarily be sentient. It may just be fairly uh repetitive fairly cyclical it could just be that it was it's just going to happen left and right and you're going to you know that's yeah i agree with you even but the the timing the timing does fit neatly into that belief that it's sentient and it could be but it's also just you know for from a storytelling point of view just when you're so close that's like when the bottom falls out so but i don't know but i don't know if you're if it's necessarily sentient no i don't i don't think the lightning was the lightning is cyclical. Um, let me see. What does it say? Because it says somewhere in here. I'm trying to figure it out. There's, there's somewhere in here I thought that Hal's inner monologue says it's... Um, it's just random bolts of lightning. Huh. Maybe I thought. Maybe I. I don't know. Maybe I. Uh, maybe I imagined that. No, here it goes. Uh, on, uh, on, on the panel right after he creates the pliers, he gets zapped by lightning. No good. Jolts come at random. Can't... Well, yeah, okay. But, but yeah. if it's random, it's also not that. If it's random, that, that shoots the sentient theory down, too. Well, no, he, he could just be frazzled and not picking up on it, but he also could be frazzled and not picking up on any sort of timing either, well, I, I don't, guess. I, when I meant timing, I don't mean, oh, every three seconds it's going to hit you. I just mean that it's it's just something that it, it's just occurring naturally. It's just there's it's not just waiting. Basically, it's not waiting until the right moment to hit him on purpose. It's just going – they're just going to come down and hit him whenever they're going to come down and hit him. And if it's hitting him at the right exact moment, it's probably just from a storytelling point of view. Oh, it's a storytelling device. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Um, do we think that if this alien is not a manifestation of Hal trying to confuse Carol, if it's an actual alien, do we think it's in some way connected to Golgotha? Or do we think it's something else entirely? That's really interesting. I'm not sure because you probably could make a case either way. Could be, could be, could be payback for her playing around, you know, with this other dimension, this planetoid, or it could be. I would probably be willing. If I had to bet, I would bet that it wasn't related. Okay. That might have to do with more with their powers 
but then again, who knows? I'm not enti- it's 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 so vague. It's really hard to interpret at this point. And the other thing, the last thing I was going to mention is, do you find it? I mean, I know that Carol is batshit crazy throughout all of this, but did you find like still like a twinge of like just that's just creepy when she's talking to the the gem like that in the beginning? It kind of it kind of reminds me of like, um, what's her name? Uh, the chick from the uh, not the Legion of Doom, like the 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 villain the the villains of the Legion of Superheroes, like that group of villains. Not the not is it the Inferior Five? Is that what I'm thinking of? I can't remember the exact name of it, but the like Emerald Empress. You know how she has like that floating green eyeball. <laughs> or am I completely out of your wheelhouse here? You're kind of out of my wheelhouse, but I, think <laughs> I, but I think I know where you're going with it. Like, yeah, there are certain there are certain villainesses who have like these little pets or these little um, you know power things that they kind of caress and talk to, all creepy like. And I, although Carol is batshit, I never thought she was like. I never kind of saw this side of it as a possibility. Like, I don't I don't know why, but I just. I just I just prefer her being nuts <laughs> instead of like I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say there. I just I just it's no matter how crazy she has seemed, this side of it is just just that much more crazy that I'm just like what? <laughs> what is going on here? <laughs> no, she's 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 seriously nuts. <laughs> just so weird that she's talking to it. Uh, see that but see, in the in the land of crystals and rings and things that we've seen, talking to your talking to your bauble is not really a sign of madness. <laughs> talk to your baubles, people. Talk amongst yourselves. No, that so, that, by, that by itself so, is so, not a. So, so it's a. Uh, what are you taking so long in the shower for? I'm talking to my bauble. <laughs> hey, I got a handful of baubles here. Leave me alone. <laughs> No, nah, yeah, I don't. I don't think that's a sign onto itself. But I don't uh, know. <laughs> all right, anything else about this story? I'm glad it's over. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, before we move on to the insanity that is Dead Man, and yes, it gets more insane than Green Lantern, <laughs> as you will see in a moment. Uh, where can people find you across the net, Mark? They can find me across the net, lanterncast.com, which is the website of Chad and I, our primary podcast, <laughs> the Lanterncast. Lanterncast at gmail.com, the easiest way to contact me or Chad outside of this show, of course. Uh, we are also we are on Facebook, lanterncast.com. You can use hashtag GLCast to find us pretty anywhere, including Twitter, pretty much. Uh, and let's see, Jim Ford and I, the one of the co-founders of the Lanterncast, we have a toy podcast, which is... As we speak, we've done 26 episodes so far, which is the Greatest Toy Podcast. That, so the website for that is greatesttoypodcast.com and greatesttoypodcast at gmail.com. And I think that's kind of it right now. All right, guys. We are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, the continuing adventures of Dead Man, a.k.a. Boston Brand. To tell you the story of Green Lantern is to tell you the story of the birth of a universe, the origins of DC as a whole. 
It's a magic emerald meteor from space in the 1940s. It's the establishment of the JSA. It's the birth of the Silver Age. It's the introduction of a universal police force. It's the formation of the JLA. It's the emergence of the multiverse. It's a crisis in both space and time. It's an emerald dawn. And it's an emerald twilight. It's the brightest day. And the blackest night. And the Lantern cast covers all of this and everything in between. We're Green Lantern's greatest advocates and fiercest critics. We've been fans for years, and it's the reason we're self-proclaimed Lanternologists. So find us on iTunes and Stitcher and give us a listen. Because the history of Green Lantern really is the history of the DC Universe. And we've got the interviews, commentaries, reviews, and more to back it up. All right, guys, we are back from break. Green Lantern has, well, we talked about that. <laughs> and uh, so we're, we're, we're into Dead Man. And because we're talking Dead Man, my fellow blogger friend, well, actually, I can't say fellow blogger. When was the last time I even posted any of my blogs? That's not fair. Um, <laughs> blogger, <laughs> Doug Zavisha is here to talk Dead Man with me. What's up, buddy? Not much. How you doing, Chad? I'm all right. I'm all right. Well, thanks for coming back to talk Dead Man. Well, thank you, sir. I, I do love talking to some Boston brand and maybe occasionally his brother Cleveland because, you know, those are real names. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> well, before we even go into the synopsis for this story, we have to talk about the cover because this is the cover Dead Man gets to grace the front page of here. And isn't it phenomenal? I, I really I do like this cover. I love it. I'm not sure if it's my favorite of the Dead Man related covers, uh, but it's definitely up there. If it's not my favorite, it's my second favorite. Yeah, I'm trying to think through the other Action Comics Weekly Dead Man covers, and honestly, this one is the one that keeps staying in my brain. It is the most recognizable. Yeah. It looks great. It's by Andy and Adam Kubert. And it looks a lot like uh, there, there's very heavy Joe Kubert influence in it. There is. There is. It says Dead Man Under Glass, which is fitting with where we left Dead Man last time. Here's the problem. There, there's only one problem I have with it. It looks great the way it is. Turn the comic upside down and look at Dead Man's face. Oh. <laughs> All right. You see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that is some painful foreshortening there. <laughs> so it's definitely it's a great cover. I don't dismiss it. It's just something is it's it's something is off with the proportions when you look at that. It's the angle of the glass. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Okay. Just okay. just ignore Dead Man's face and give him a high five, everybody. High five. <laughs> I, no, I do like it. I do even down to the the color uh, differences. You can the way that his hands are colored. You can tell where his uh, his hands are actually physically pressing flat against the glass. Yeah, and this was where are we in now? Eighty eight. Yeah, eighty eight. So you know, coloring is not coloring is not at its apex yet. You know, they're still doing color proofs with markers and paper and stuff, and I, not digitally separating or any of that. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's the Kubert brothers. I mean, the Joe Joe wouldn't have turned him loose on the industry without giving him a. I mean, I've I've heard, well, from 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 Rob Kelly. I've also heard from other people 
the Kubert school uh, isn't one to let you go lax <laughs> uh, when 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 Joe was around. So I imagine he, uh, as harsh as he was on his student, as hard as he was on his students, he probably is, uh, you know, still the loving father, but even even harsher on his boys. <laughs> oh, he has to be right. Yeah, for um, coach's kid. It is, you know, it's actually probably one of my favorite cover, one of my top few favorite covers in the entire Action Comics Weekly series. Uh, I, I honestly don't know if I'd put it at the top for Dead Man covers. I think there's, I'm thinking of it through others right now, um, but I don't, I, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's definitely up there. The colors are crisp. This comic that I have, and I've, I've actually switched to actually using my uh, physical copies, guys. I've, I've reorganized now so that these are easily accessible to me. Um, you know, this this comic, it's not the be- in the best condition, uh, but, the, I mean, the actual cover still looks really crisp. The reds are really popping. I just... I love it. It's really, it's really well done. Other than that upside down issue, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it's really well done for sure. It, it definitely captures and communicates the visual of Dead Man without even having to rely on the D. That's true. Perfect. That's true. You can't, you can't see his uh, his logo there at all. I do like it though, for sure. Yeah. All right, man. Uh, getting straight into it. Where do where do we pick up with Dead Man? We pick up with Dead Man in rural Virginia, a top-secret government installation in Virginia which houses the American ESP research project using weapons found in a Mayan temple. The CIA has captured Dead Man in Goes to Hell. Yeah, I didn't make any of that up, folks. I read that right from the page because <laughs> if I would have made it up, I would have missed some of that absurdity. Written by Mike Barron, drawn by J- Dan Jurgens, inked by Tony DiZanuga. I pronounce it different every time, don't I? I <laughs> At least you're not stumbling over it. You're saying it with confidence. Yeah, I wrote it down phonetically and everything, and I'm still doing it wrong every time. And I do apologize, but, you know, it is what it is. Tony D. Tony <laughs> DZ. Uh, Steve Haney letters this beauty. Liz Baroub colors it, and Barbara Randall is still editing it. And the first thing that I noted here was we start to see some of Jurgen's style seep through Dizaniga's inks as Deadman is trapped in that pill-shaped glass. Which, last issue that we talked, sir, you asked, is it an effect of the gun? Is it an effect of the glass that Deadman is this machinery was designed to hold him? Perhaps it can be used to make him talk. And the director of the CIA is talking to Major Kasaba, who helped... Well, who didn't help? She caught Dead Man at the site of the Mayan temple where they discovered a spaceship that went off into space and yada yada. All that happened previous. See previous issues. Listen to previous podcasts. From there, uh, the director and Kasaba are debating what exactly to do with Dead Man, and uh, the director tries to to amplify things up a little bit to force Dead Man to talk. Um, and amazingly, Kasaba and her boss, Stan, keep referring to him to dead man, specifically as dead man. Uh, later on, the boss comes back and says, our dead man, or uses it less as a uh, proper name. But throughout this part of the story, they're referring to him as dead man, but are convinced that he was one of the original aliens from said spaceship that was found in said temple that no longer exists from previous chapters. 
So the director and Kasaba continue their arguing and decide, since Deadman appears to have passed out, that they're going to step outside, leaving Deadman to uh, the watchful eye of a CIA guard who dresses in white, purple, and blue. We'll come back to that. So the CIA guard enters and, uh, well, Deadman scares him in the most Saturday morning mishap to ever happen in comics by banging on the glass which causes the guard to scream, yay, and fall into the exact button on a 50-button control panel that releases the mechanism holding the glass tube that Deadman is trapped in. So Deadman then possesses the guard. Stan runs back in, Stan being the CIA director. The two of them have a conversation discussing the where of Major Kasaba. Uh, Stan says, don't worry about her, she's nothing, blah, blah, blah. And then directs the guard to another control panel where there's this other uh, vessel. And the vessel turns out to be a vase or vase, however we want to pronounce it. Um, And on the vase is symbols and two symbols of a classic confrontation between good and evil. Where you have a flaming individual and a not so flaming individual fighting each other with apparently lightsabers. Uh, so there is, as Deadman is possessing the guard and has managed to talk to the director of the CIA to leave for a little bit, Deadman starts to have, through the body of the security guard, a conversation with the vase. Yes, the vase. Uh, to the point where the vase says, I'm a dead man, like you. I threaten no one. And at that point, Deadman, Boston Brand, decides to leave, only to be pulled into the vase and out of the guard's body by apparently the devil himself who then asked dead man in the very last sentence, do you play pinochle? <laughs> this story. <laughs> yeah, this story, this is like the, we were in space last issue. Yep. Now we're in hell. <laughs> what is going but, on? <laughs> but we're not even in hell. Cause it's all black. It's like uh, like Jurgens needed a moment to catch up. So, hey Tony, can you just ink this panel all black, please? Just, just black. Okay, I can do that. Oh my god, this story. Um, again, I enjoy it. Again, I really do. Uh, I enjoy it for it being a dead man story because for some godforsaken reason, whenever it comes to dead man. I don't know what it is. I just inherently enjoy it on some level at the very least. That's part of the reason he's in my top five for DC. There's something about the character of Dead Man, which I have never been able to put my finger on, that I just cannot help but at least somewhat like every story I've ever read him in. Um, maybe it's just the fact that he's this ghost uh, and he's tied to the supernatural world, but he's still this sort of snarky, sarcastic (laughs) skeptic in a way. Uh, Maybe that's part of it. Maybe it's just the adventuring side. Maybe it's just the fact that I've always liked supernatural characters in general. I don't know what it is. But part of the fun of this has not, like, at first it's just jarring and I had to comment on it. Now I expect it and the absurdity is part of the fun. Okay. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know if you're there with me. Maybe I, not. I, I can see where you're at, and it is. 
it, it's like Baron having a pre Grant Morrison go at Dead Man. True. And I can see that. Just trying to do anything and everything and see what happens here. Unfortunately, though, the art doesn't cooperate with the zaniness of the concept. And perhaps zany. Zany wasn't the word that I intended to use in that sentence. It just happened, which leads me in the direction of... Bob Haney? Yes, indeed. <laughs> this is certainly very Haney, is it not? You know what this almost feels like? And, and you know what? I, I, I will cop to it. I said at the very, in the very episode, in the, very, in the intro, I'm not a comics expert. But I do know certain things. And I, although I've never read an issue of this, I do know the concept of it. You know what this feels like to me, based on concept alone, an ish, a, a, a DC challenge. Okay. <laughs> like we, we're just gonna, even though it's the same creative team, we're not gonna plan anything, <laughs> issue right. to issue. We're just going to have people pitch ideas and figure out how to get from where we left off last story to whatever the new pitch is. <laughs> or, or maybe something along the lines of Marvel's Assistant Editors Month. That, tr- that that too. That too. Oh, I've heard of that. This month you have to get your character out of space. Well, how did he get in space? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, this, this is ridiculous. <laughs> it is. It is utterly ridiculous. I almost expected... I was trying to look for <laughs> that very first page, the very first panel. <laughs> I, was, I was looking all over this comic to see if there was some sort of... Like uh, crossword puzzle clues. See, <laughs> <laughs> like, I want to do that. Whatever that crossword is, I want to do it. <laughs> that is awesome, right there. Oh man, um, here's where Kasaba takes a back seat. Now we've got this guy, which we were introduced to last issue, but now he's you know like even even when uh, Dead Man breaks out, he comes rushing in, and he's he, he Dead Man in the in in uh, his guards form says you know where's where's major Kasaba and he goes well never mind her so even even the dialogue of this new character is saying well okay well forget about her right <laughs> he's yeah, and, and he, he's not the guy we focus on and as you mentioned we met him last issue and he was just the director or Mister Director I think is how he was referred to but now he's Stan and it's all good Stan. Yeah, I don't know about Gar. All the uh, maybe if they got a good relationship with their boss. Like I, I've got a, I've got a boss who you know I, I work at a car dealership. I'm a car salesman. Every now and then I interact with the owner of the dealership, the man whose you know last name is on the <laughs> on the banner uh, next to the words Buick GMC. Um, but I call him Corey every now, right. <laughs> every now and then. But I don't know, <laughs> I don't know when you work in the government. When you work for the government, if a guard should call the director of the CIA, well, Stan. Let, let me ask you this, then. Does your boss make you dress like this? <laughs> no. He looks like a, he looks like he should be in the, a Legion of Superheroes comic or something. Well, th- that that's one of my notes there is, how the hell do you describe this headgear? Uh, does, does it predate Gambit? Is this where it, Gambit got the idea from? It does look like Gambit. Oh, yeah. What? So, um, but yeah. I would agree. He does look like it's uh, some Legion of Superhero off the clearance rack at the Legion of Superhero warehouse. There, it looks like it. Like it, it, that panel where he's drawing his gun at when Dead Man's thing is falling. 
I almost think like, is this some like new challengers of the unknown costume? Because just the way this dude is dressed in his pose on that particular panel, it almost looks like instead of dead man falling out of this glass pill, there should be some sort of space alien rounding the corner. <laughs> right. I don't know. It just, it just looks, it's De- just ridiculous. Dead man did have some appearances with the challengers. So, you know, you're not too far afield there. That would actually probably be, that, that's the beat that Baron missed in his, I'm going to throw everything at dead man story. And that's the one thing he didn't throw here, which maybe could have done something different, but instead he decides to take us to hell. Literally. Uh, yeah, I was about to say <laughs> the uh, the art here. Would you characterize this as better or worse than last issue? Uh, there are moments of better, like like you said that first panel the 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 care to put all that detail into that panel. Mm-hmm. Uh, page three, the first panel with Dead Man slumped in the the glass tube, right. Uh, page two, the middle bottom panel where dead man is in some apparent excruciating, uh, mental anguish there, which I may have just really beat that dead horse, apparent excruciating anguish. (laughs) Um, but then all of page four takes a step back. You know, I I agree with that. There are some, uh, portfolio, submission panels here like the guard falling into the control panel uh dead man's dead man's leap from his smashing pill that's the that's the i mean i know he's a ghost but that's such weird anatomy right there yeah it is (laughs) he's got a butt growing out of his shoulders (laughs) um yeah the art the art is is again like i said it's one of those things you, you take enough time you're gonna find something wrong with it but it, it, I feel like it's 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 in spurts. Like yes, you, you're getting these issues where like, eh, maybe that looks a little weird, but the rest of us looks pretty great. And then then you get this, and you're just like, yeah, well, yeah, that's okay, that's pretty great. And the rest of this is just kind of, hmm, I guess it's passable, but you know, it's nothing really to write home about. I always had a, you know, and I've mentioned it throughout this podcast, particularly in relation to Wild Dog. Um, but I've always had an issue with negative space in in panels and when it comes to art. Now, on on the second, uh, uh, on the page where there's shocking dead man, there's one, two, three, four, five of these six panels where there's energy light, which I understand. We're shocking dead man, blah blah blah. But it's 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 essentially doing the same thing mm-hmm. as negative space. It's it all you got to do is draw a few lines. Right. Um. I I I'm I'm giving it a pass just because of what it's trying to accomplish with him being shocked, the light, the energy, the flashes, all of that stuff. But then you get to later on. In um. Uh, Right when Dead Man, uh, when uh, Stan leaves and Dead Man is in the guard's body, that last panel right there where he says "Hello, anybody home?" Starting there, even though there's color in the background, there is not a whole lot of backgrounds anymore. There's one right. panel, one panel on it's labeled page seven, 
there's one panel there where there's some, there's some background stuff, some equipment in this high tech lab or whatever. But otherwise, it's just flat backgrounds, right? Just flat color, and I, I don't like that. And, and it's, I, I can see where it's done to propel the conversation between the Vaz and Dead Man Possessed Guard, mm-hmm. but it also hits a point where it almost reaches distraction. Yes. Because then you wind up very focused on the vase and the guard and the inconsistencies between those two, between the three panels. Yes. Like, look at the pauses on in all three panels. You know, it, it, this is 1988. Yes, you can't just copy-paste in Photoshop, but you did have stats. You did have tracing paper. There are ways to accomplish the same effect. So... That's to your true. point, it, it could have used a little more uh, flair. And, and and I don't understand why it's not there. I mean, you, you make a good point. It's there to focus you onto this conversation between, you know, this vase, this guard, these two dead men. Right. Um, and, and but but it, it, I, it, I, I notice it less. The rest of this story didn't have so many other backgrounds. Showing right. us this crazy lab and all the high-tech equipment and all this other stuff. Well, and, and being critical of this this page, page seven, mm-hmm. you have the establishing shot before these three panels at the bottom of Guard talking to Vaz. So from there, you can bring your backgrounds back in. That's been done. It's it, We know what's going on. The reader should be intelligent enough to follow along with you at this point. Right. Um, and then the next page, just, I don't know what happened here. It's like they suddenly got afraid of the page itself. You know, I, I understand the dynamic, uh, angles help emphasize story points, but then you're also leaving a lot of, I mean, you've got a lot of negative space in the panels Mm -hmm. and then to leave that much more negative space on the page. True. You know, expand, expand one of these panels or extend it so that it fills part of the background at least. I feel like the layout of these last three panels is also there to uh, kind of give you the feeling of falling. Right. That's At least that's the feeling I get. Maybe I'm reading something into it there, but I feel like the way it's just sort of just doing this curve, it's almost like it's falling down. So you're can, like like you're falling with Dead Man into hell. I can see that. But it maybe should have been ex- it exaggerated yeah. a little bit more. Yeah. Do you get the feeling that uh, this guard, after uh, quote unquote the devil grabbed him, can see Dead Man being pulled into this jar or no? Um, no. I, I think at this point he knows something's going on with the, the jar of the base, but he doesn't know what. Okay. Okay. And I think he's going to walk right out and go get a very tall drink. Uh, you had mentioned during your synopsis the the whole fact calling him Dead Man. Right. I feel like they, they they call him Dead Man to refer to his state. He is a dead man. If that's right. the case, there should be a space between those two words. Exactly. You took the words right out of my mouth on that one. Yeah. Therefore, I'm taking it as they're referring to him as Dead Man. At some point, they decided this is his name. And for them to have decided that he was an aerialist at a circus. 
granted it wasn't the greatest circus in the world and ideally you know the the interaction with characters is somewhat limited but i would think that he would have some degree of popularity or recognizability well yeah especially the fact especially that he's assassin, assassinated yeah in, and, and in the act the of aerialism yep yeah now here's here's a question i have to ask they keep calling him the ancient astronaut or referring to him in such a way right do here's what i'm thinking do they think he is the spirit of an ancient astronaut or do they think he is the ancient astronaut and his natural state is ectoplasm, the same way we're carbon-based life forms, but on some other planet and some other galaxy, maybe life is silicon-based or, or whatever. I think he is a living ectoplasmic version of some other species. The, the latter is where I'm reading this. Okay. That they perceive him to be an alien of ectoplasmic origin. Okay. Well, then, if, host of an alien. Then if, then why do they call him Dead Man? Um, because he's dead. I don't know. This, but that's just it. If he, if if his natural state as an, a quote unquote alien, according to what they're thinking, is ectoplasm, why call him Dead Man? If they True. if they think his natural living state is ectoplasm. That is a good question. See, that's that's why I asked it in the first place. It's like, well, if, if they really think he's just the, the a, a dead spirit of an ancient alien, then, okay, calling him dead man makes sense. But I was also getting the feeling that they're just referring to him as a being made of ectoplasm that still, still happens to be around in his natural form. So then why call him dead man if that's the case? Hmm. I, I don't know. <laughs> you got to because uh, they don't use the reader in eight pages. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, guys. <laughs> yeah. Way to go. Uh, I got another uh, brain bending question for you. What is All right. what is Pinochle? <laughs> Pinochle's a card game. Okay. I've never. Uh, I, I, I was reading this and I was like. Is is my mind not pronouncing this word correctly? Because I was like, okay, I want to wait till Doug said, it, and then maybe it'll ring true for me. And then you said it exactly how my mind pronounced it, and I was like, I have right. no idea what this is. Yeah, I've never actually played Pinochle, but I think no, that was Shanghai Rummy. Um, my my parents and used to go over to my grandparents like every Saturday and play a card game, and it was it was Shanghai Rummy, uh, but. Somehow Pinochle entered into that too or into that memory. And I want to say my grandpa liked to play Pinochle, but never had a group to play with or a partner to play with. That's like me in DC deck building. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I love that game. Sorry. There you go. There is a dead man card in that game, by the way. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I, Moving on. Seen... <laughs> is that the... the... We, we can sidebar here for a second. Okay, is that the ahead. newer... Is it is it legendary? Is that the company producing? Uh, Cryptozoic. Cryptozoic. Okay. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, Michael Bailey and his wife play it all the time. They're pretty obsessed with it. I had a group of friends that, like, for instance, my my little sister. She got married in April, um, and she'd been dating Gary, my brother in law, now for 
like six or seven years. Uh, and I played, you know, I played with them a little bit. I played with my friends Jackie and Corey for a little bit. Um, but, you know, just like, you know, when you get any new game, people get really excited about it and play it over and over and over again. And you, it kind of becomes the thing you do when you see each other. And then after a while, some people burn out. I never, right. I never burned out in DC deck building. Uh, okay. I drive, drive a uh, 2014 Chevy Sonic, and there's like this, there's a, there's this, you know, this, it's a hatchback, so there's kind of like a, this trunk space behind the, set, the behind my back seat, and there's this, you know, carpeted thing that I can lift up, and underneath it is some storage area, and underneath that a spare. Well, in that storage area, I have nothing but board games. And every single version of DC deck building that I own is in the car. So no matter where I go, I have DC deck building ready to go for the moment somebody says, hey, do you happen to have... Yes, I do. <laughs> you guys ready? Because <laughs> I'm about to play this game. <laughs> no, we wanted the Marvel one. <laughs> no, I love I love DC deck building. It's a great game. Um, all right. Yeah, if, if if you're at all interested in deck builders or some sort of board games, I would definitely do. Uh, I would definitely say that. Uh, it, it's something that's come up, and I've seen the the images of you know some of the cards around, but I've never. It seems to me, it, it, the initial price point might be yes, kind of intimidating. You know what I would do if I were you? Then is uh, I, I would. I would assume it's harder to get a larger group together than just one, just like two people to play. They do have what's known as uh, the Deck Building Rivals pack. Okay. And I was under the impression that they'd be doing more of these, but so far there's only one out. And it's Batman versus Joker. So one player chooses Batman or Joker, and the other player chooses the other. And then it works like, for the most part, a regular game of DC Deck Building. So, but it's just two players instead of, you know, instead of the regular three, four, five. Um, and it, 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 the, the game mechanics are essentially the same, except for the hero and the supervillains. Uh, but otherwise it's this, it's essentially the same game. So you can spend less, play with only two people and still get a feel for whether or not you like the mechanics of the game. And if you like it enough, then you can decide, do I want to invest in the larger version of this for more players? Gotcha. Yeah. But that that I have that I have the Teen Titans version of the of the DC deck building game. I have the first version of it. I have the the Heroes United version. <laughs> I've got the playmat. I've got the expansion packs. There's a there's been an expansion pack for Arrow for the JSA for the Legion of Superheroes. <laughs> like like right. I've I've got all these expansion packs. Like that's I love that game. <laughs> but complete tangent. Um, so. We've now jumped from Mayan mythology through to Sumerian. Um, Are they just using Sumerian because of the quote-unquote supposed ties to the Christian devil, Satan? Perhaps. Okay. Perhaps it's convenience. Maybe it's something that uh, Baron happened to be reading at the time. That's, that, that works. Uh I suppose I'm trying to inject too much logic into this. I really should just let it run its course. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it, it comes from Sumeria, right? <laughs> what do you think of Casaba's uh, hairstyle here? You know, Casaba and um, Stan both 
look different. Uh, stylist between the end of the previous issue and this one. Yeah, and 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 it's not just the 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 facial um, components or the hair. Kasab is wearing a pantsuit or a well a a, a a blazer and a skirt. Right. This entire time we've been seeing her in you know kind of the the khakis. Well, she has the the blazer and the skirt on the last page of the previous issue. Okay, that's true. But it's a little bit different than the blazer she's wearing here. This one here looks a little looser. Yeah. Or uh, larger. Yeah. Not not that a woman obviously can't change clothes when she's in an office setting versus out in the field. <laughs> but, true. But it's just, it's odd seeing her in that way because she does kind of give off the ball buster mentality sort of thing, uh, right. which I don't necessarily associate to this. But then again, this is essentially what Amanda Waller wears. <laughs> so, right. right. And uh, yeah. she, she still scares the living daylights out of me from time to time. <laughs> and, and between the last issue and this issue, not only did that happen, but uh, Stan has completely changed his suit. He's kept the green tie. He's also lost a few years and lost his vest and his glasses. Yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe it's a different Stan. <laughs> um, anything else you want to say about this story? No. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think so. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm sure the next one is where we'll have plenty to say. <laughs> this one wore me out a little bit. <laughs> For sure. All right, man. Well, before we let you go and move on to the next uh, the next segment, where can people find you across the net, my friend? Uh, it feels like I am literally across the net. I'm at Comicosity.com doing some writing and reviewing there. I have a Doom Patrol site, which Doom Patrol is back. Yay, Doom Patrol. Come on. Yay, Doom Patrol. Yay, Doom Patrol. Yeah. <laughs> I downloaded uh, the issue. I haven't read it yet. Oh, man. Is it a good read? Out of, out of deference to you, even though I have no history nor... I'm sorry to say, interest in the Doom Patrol. I decided to give it a shot because I have come out the other side of this Action Comics Weekly stuff being a fan of Blackhawk and the Secret Six. So let's just say I'm open to continuing to expand my experiences. You need no history with the Doom Patrol to read this issue, and Nick Darrington's art will win you over by the end. Okay. And I will stand by that. Or your money back. (laughs) Uh, No. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, that's a $4 book, man. You're on your own. <laughs> I'll recommend it as highly as I can, but I'm not paying you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, I have a Doom Patrol blog, which is mygreatestadventure80.blogspot.com. That's mygreatestadventure80.blogspot.com. And I also have a another blog that I just decided to use the longest name possible, and that's talesofmygreateststrangeadventures.blogspot.com. Uh, there is some dead man's type stuff there. It's more of a, a it was intended to be a catch-all um, because there are a lot of characters that I fancy, um, but very few of them are worth having blog space, which, yeah, I know you're raising your eyebrows and going, but Doom Patrol does? And yes, Doom Patrol does deserve their own space. Um, so the, the Tales of My Greatest Strange Adventures gives me a spot to, to air a little bit. Occasionally it might just be a panel. Occasionally it might be months between anything, but that's an, another space where I go. 
Uh, additionally, I'm writing something or will be writing something for uh, tomorrow's. And I do have a book available through them, The Hawkman Companion, which, as I understand it, should be getting pretty low in copies there. So help me sell it out. Where can people find it? Just on the Tomorrow's website? Yeah, Tomorrow's.com or through, I think, maybe even Amazon still has some copies available. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. All right, man. Well, thanks for showing up. I really appreciate it. It's always nice to talk Dead Man with you, my friend. Thanks for having me on, Chad. All right. Talk to you later. Hey, talking Dead Man. I almost forgot. Okay. There's a podcast coming up. Uh, there is. The Podcasting Hour with everybody's friend, Ryan Daly. He uh, and I will be talking Dead Man over there. Well, he's uh, not Shag's he friend. Well, is anybody? <laughs> I mean, there's photo evidence, but you have no idea what, what kind of coercion I had to go through for that photo evidence. I haven't, I haven't heard a single scrap of feedback from Shag about this show, so I'm just going to continue ragging him until he finally catches up and goes, Hey! <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yep. But podcasting hour, so starting yes. around Halloween is what I hear? Around Halloween time, yep. And there will be uh, Dead Man, I think, I think he's going by episodes. Uh, so there will be Dead Man episodes, Spectre episodes, Swamp Thing, I want to say Night Force, and then kind of a catch-all uh, five topics in, in specific that'll be, I believe, set up in rotation, but I may be speaking out of class here. So Ryan Daly, for certain, and the Fire and Water pa- Podcast Network will have details for you. Yeah, for sure. With regards to, the, to, to, to that show, I would definitely, because the announcement, I believe, was made on uh on the fire and water network feed on facebook so i would definitely continue checking that out guys if you're interested in seeing when the exact release dates are for that how that show is going to work so on and so forth all right guys we're going to take a quick break and come back with um wild dog wild dog (laughs) that's right everybody's favorite fan favorite wild dog that's stretching it Doom Patrol 1963 Doom Patrol debut My Greatest Adventure issue 80 1964 My Greatest Adventure renamed Doom Patrol issue 85 1968 Doom Patrol destroyed issue 121 1976 The new Doom Patrol Showcase 94 1987 Doom Patrol Volume 2 Copperberg Lytle 1989 Morrison and Case Issue 19 1993 Pollack Issue 64 2001 Doom Patrol Volume 3 Arcudi Hewitt 2004 Doom Patrol Volume 4 Burn Shush 2009 Doom Patrol Volume 5 Giffen Clark 2012 2013 2014 2015 2016 Waiting for Doom The Doom Patrol Podcast Because we're waiting Available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Podbean.com.
Alright guys, we're back from break and things have quite literally gone to hell in a handbasket over there for Dead Man and what the hell? Um, I couldn't, couldn't think of any more hell puns. So uh, since we're done with Dead Man for this episode, we are going over into uh, more Wild Dog. <laughs> so, <laughs> audible sigh. <sighs> okay. <laughs> it's you this time, it's not me. I mean... <laughs> I'm feel, embracing the character, man. I, I feel like there's got to be an audible sigh every time we do this. At some point uh -huh. in the recording, every segment should have an audible sigh after the mention of the words "wild dog." <laughs> Not this one, though. This this one is a uh, this one is a uh, is a pretty he's pretty badass, man. <laughs> and speaking of badass, wild dog expert Jay Jones is clearly back to join me for this. <sighs> Happy? Yes. Thank you. <laughs> All right, man, you're up. Uh, Wild Dog has been uh, ostracized from the cover, <laughs> so uh, there's nothing for us to talk about going into it. So where does Wild Dog go from here? Uh, he had his moment to shine. Um, he'll grace the cover again, I'm sure. <laughs> they gave everybody a bone. Right? Uh, oh, more dog puns. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, let's talk about this. We're looking at uh, Wild Dog Moral Stand, Chapter 5, Sleeping Dogs Lie. <sighs> Written by Max Collins, penciled by Terry Beatty, letters by Gaspar. Colorist was Michelle Wolfman, edited by Mike Gold. Um, the Did we ever determine what LOM stands for? I forgot already. <laughs> Loam... Uh, the League of Mutants uh, <laughs> militants are standing over Wild Dog's body, believing him to be dead. When they comment on the gross smell of burning terrorist, Wild Dog announces, I like it, before springing up and shooting them before going over to help the truck driver. Uh, Wild Dog doesn't talk a lot uh, from my memory, but he does, uh, when he does, it's memorable. Uh, the driver is shocked to see that Wild Dog has killed the hijacking arsonistic terrorists, so I'm guessing he's not a local. Wild Dog blames the violence on the fact that he watched too many cartoons as a kid. In Layman's hotel suite, the Loam leader is worried that his team uh, hasn't reported in. He orders a thug in a pink sweater to look into it. The truck driver, uh, meanwhile, leads Andy to the scene of the crime. All the evidence has been removed, save for some empty shell casings and blood. But Andy smells death in the air. An, un an unhappy Andy checks in with Jack, ticked off about the deaths. Jack says the loam opened fire on him first. Uh, Jack points out to Andy an ad in Soldier of Fortune magazine placed by Layman asking for mercenaries. Then uh, Andy plays a uh, pays a call on Graham Galt, his government spook friend. And Galt, uh, he's a CIA agent who believes Andy may be Wild Dog, agrees to help. Later that night, Jack meets up with Loman, Layman, the Loam leader, not Loman, the lay leader. Um, the Layman is impressed with Jack's background and invites him to be a soldier in his army. That is that. Ah, oh, Terry Beatty, you were doing so well last issue with trying to incorporate backgrounds, and now you just completely screwed the pooch. <laughs> oh, God, with the puns. <laughs> oh, but seriously, though. 
It's, he made it. Yeah, he made an effort. He's kind of look at uh, the second page, the middle panel. Um, either Wild Dog is wearing an adult diaper, <laughs> <laughs> or he really needs to hit the gym because baby got back. <laughs> I'm just saying. Oh, nice. Um, <laughs> wow. Uh, just <laughs> that. I like it. Just for real. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Yeah, listeners, as you hear this, it's not going to matter because hopefully if you follow the Facebook page, uh, it, it's already going to be there. When I post this episode, instead of using like the album art for <laughs> for for the episode, you know, just when I post the link to the website, I'm going to use this panel. It says, Wild Dog Says. I like it. <laughs> Little does the listener know that he's referring to the smell of burning flesh. That's disgusting. Not the quality of this very podcast. No, but I'm sure that if Wild Dog did listen to this podcast, he'd probably like it too. Because I love Wild Dog, and I make it clear in every episode. Well, starting with the fourth one. Yeah, after all the flack I got, you know. From everyone who loves Wild Dog saying, dude. Yeah, we just got droves of email on that. Um, (laughs) Listener commentary. Um, I don't know. I feel (laughs) like other than him saving the truck driver, I don't see much here other than the introduction of this, uh, of this, um, you know, CIA guy. Yeah, uh, he's really, I mean, what he does do, he does well. But he isn't. He's not Wild Dog for very long in this. Uh, pages one, two, and three, and then he's back to being Jack. Um, like I'm fine with background. I'm fine with story. That makes sense. I don't expect to see Wild Dog every panel of every page. I just, uh, you know, it, you, you got to build something when you're writing a story. It's just, I don't know. You know, I'm just gonna be honest, guys. The my my whole enjoyment of this is. Uh, it, it's it's going up and down, you know. I I kind of like there are moments where I see the appeal of the the character, and there are moments I'm just like, what the hell am I reading? But it, <laughs> it's not helped by these blank backgrounds, and I I get that I'm a stickler for that, but I just cannot help myself. I cannot help myself. Yeah, it's and it was a it was it was an ongoing problem in the miniseries too. This is just this is just their style, you know. This is Terry Beatty's style. Maybe um, maybe teamed up with another artist, uh, Max Collins, and I don't know. I don't know. A good artist would have uh, <laughs> done a better job. I can't think of a good artist, but there's so many out there. I'm just, um, I'm just thinking, like, <laughs> as an example, and I am not in any way comparing Wild Dog to Batman, but... Some of the fun of a Batman story that, you know, taking place in Gotham is the fact that it takes place in Gotham because you get like the cool Gotham architecture and him going through alleys and the stuff that's in the alleys. And if he goes down to the sewers to like fight Killer Croc or something, there's, you know, it's it's not just the the myriad of Batman villains and their crazy identities and the various quirks that they all have. Uh, it's, it's also kind of where those stories take place. You know, if you're fighting the Joker, 
you know, I'm not saying it's always it always takes place at the amusement park or whatever, but there's some fun that can be had there if you're t- fighting killer crockets down in the sewers and you know, like all of the, you know, all of those things. I feel like if the Quad Cities is such a place that has all this rampant crime and you know stuff like that for that section of the U.S., I don't expect it to to look quite like a rural town. I mean, I know that's kind of where we're set, but I kind of feel like. I feel like there should be more grit to this story visually. Like there, you know, he should be, you know, keeping an eye on these folks out of, you know, the, uh, the shadows of an alley or something. I'm not saying that that's his thing because clearly his his outfit is so wild that uh, wild. <laughs> yeah, that it's not like he could. He's you know Batman blending into the shadows or anything. But I don't know what I'm trying to to. You know, I can't put my finger on what exactly I'm trying to articulate there, but I just feel like for the nature of the story you're trying to tell, with the nature of the character you're trying to you showcase to us, that not that the background necessarily should be a critical part of it all, but I feel like the background in with this particular character and these particular types of stories could help. The same way rooftops and stuff like that help, and the things that Daredevil comes across, like when he's flipping across rooftops where there's like those water things on the roof behind him in Hell's Kitchen, you know, like all of those, the, the places in where these people operate and do their thing aren't necessarily a part of the character. I mean, obviously, Daredevil's a bad example because he, he is Hell's Kitchen in some way. Uh, it, it's a part of who he is. Um, but I just, as, as, as a concept, as an idea, like if Batman didn't have all the cool little details of Gotham behind him, if Daredevil didn't have the cool little details of, of Hell's Kitchen behind him, after a while you'd notice it, right? And it would you'd feel that there's something missing from the stories. Not that the stories yeah. are bad, but wait, something's missing. What is it again? Oh, yeah, <laughs> we're not seeing this, this, and this. Well, you know, in in Batman... For example, Gotham City isn't just a setting. It is a character itself. Yeah. Um, have you ever been to the Quad Cities? Nope. I haven't either. For all I know, the Quad Cities are a bleak and desolate place. Um, judging by the way Terry Beatty draws it, you're going to say, yeah, it, there's not a lot there. Um, in the opening pages of the original Wild Dog miniseries, there is, a, like, I guess what you call an establishing shot of the area. And it is fairly urban, um, but it's just it's just his style, I guess. It's just he, he's not concerned so much with with the backgrounds, and it wouldn't bother me so much if the foreground made up for it. If if the art, you know, that that we're supposed to be looking at was was really good, but it's not really good. It's good. It's it's capable. It's better than I could do. But you know, like I said, wild dogs. Wild dogs got a fat ass in one panel. Um, the the page four where they've gone back to the scene of the crime and the Jimmy Olsen clone there guy is pointing out the the shell casings. It's just a really poorly rendered drawing. There he he looks awkward and chunky and I mean part of it's the eighty shoulder pads I guess or, or whatever he's got going on, but. It's just the, the stuff in the foreground doesn't really make up for the lack of background. And if, if, if his, you know, the stuff that we were drawn to, that we're looking at, that we're supposed to look at was really good, 
chances are we wouldn't notice so much the the bleak, uh, you know, nothing to the background. I don't know though. I don't. I don't know because this is the this is the only wild dog I've ever known. These are the only people really who've ever drawn wild dog or ever. had the character you know it was always just max collins and terry Beatty. um i think i could be wrong i had to look into the special but i think that was them again um until he appeared later in like cameo like in, in, in the issue of lobo you know he was drawn by somebody different then but you know for the most part these are the ones that that, that drew him and i'm uh, Realize I've gone off on a tangent and forgot what my original point was. You were responding to me talking about the backgrounds and how. Right, right, yeah. That if the you know if the foreground was was better, then I wouldn't so much notice the lack of background. And they they you know they try too. They try to be cute. They try to do things that are that are different. Uh, the bottom of page four, where he's got the truck driver, you know, saying how grateful he is that Wild Dog saved him, and the very next panel is. Andy in the same position saying he's not grateful for what Jack did. Uh, yeah, I get it. It's funny. It's cute. But it's it's not funny enough to sustain. I mean, it's, it's just not great. It's just not it's not a great it's not great art. It's not a really great story. Um, but I like it. I, I do. I do like it. I like the wild dog. I like I like what he does. I like his manic. Uh, I like his. He, I, his one-liner, you know, to the to the bad guys. I like how badass he is by throwing that Molotov cocktail back at the dude, you know, and he doesn't hesitate to shoot people in the face. It's cool. It's cool. And if we've learned one thing by, you know, this this journey that we've gone on together... It's that Jay that should I, take some counseling. <laughs> I really love violent comic books. <laughs> they are my DC comics. The more violent and bloody, the better. <clears throat> Oh man. Um Oh it's hang on, I think I made a mistake earlier on. Uh I said that Jack points out an ad in Soldier of Fortune magazine. Mm-hmm. It's uh Soldier for Glory. Uh <clears throat> I think Soldier of Fortune is a real magazine. Soldier uh Soldier for Glory is the made up DC Comics version. <clears throat> hmm. Not a big deal, but just happened to notice that I did that. <clears throat> um yeah, you also this dude runs this uh highly critical uh you know people trying to hunt you down organization <laughs> is really uh lax in letting people join. Like yeah. he's he's known Jack for a day maybe. I mean yeah, he ran a background check and and all this other stuff and a credit check on on Jack but like you have mercenaries. Like, look at the amount of dudes in that last panel. Oh, yeah. You've got a butt-ton of people working for you, and not just the people who are actually carrying out the dirty work. I'm just assuming that there are other people that work for you that are a part of your organization or whatever that you could use. Have somebody tail Jack for a while. like. <laughs> okay. Let me say this, though. Um, and I have not read ahead uh, as much as I want to. I'm I'm doing this like uh, just prior to recording, like you and, uh, like like I am. I'm trying not to be spoiled, like on Secret Six and stuff like that. Right, yeah. right. And I don't remember how this plays out. It's so long ago that I read this, but I will say, I believe, and this and I'm not saying this as a spoiler. If it turns out to be true, that's fantastic. I believe that this layman guy does know who Jack is and is playing, you know, the long con that he's 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 aware. That Jack is not only 
uh, you know, not what he's pretending to be, but is in fact Wild Dog and is going to either capture, kill, or or use Wild Dog in some way. Um, that's just that's just where you know, like I said, I don't remember where this goes. If if I'm right, hey, I'm smart. If I'm wrong, you know, I I shot at it and I missed. But uh, I think that's where this is going. I think that this guy probably did do the research, did learn the truth about Jack, because it was down to you know, the Susan King did manage to figure out that it was down to four guys who were Wild Dog, and Jack was one of the likely suspects. So if you know, layman puts in the puts in the work, the the hard detective work. He could find out that Jack is Wild Dog, or figure it out, and then say, you know, we're going to use him or kill him or whatever. If that turns out to be true, I'll give the series a little bit more credit. Yeah, well, don't hold your breath. So, <laughs> you know, I'm tempted now to uh, I'm tempted now to uh, read ahead just to see if I was right and see, you know. I don't know. Well, we'll learn as we get there. It, it, it is, you know, if I get to come back and do Wild Dog, that is. <clears throat> All right. So anything else you want to say about this story before we uh, move on? Um, no, I think we got it. Okay. <laughs> well, I asked, I asked Ben, uh, uh, I asked Ben last episode, uh, and I wanted to ask you, uh, but since we had to co- talk about the cover, I just sort of, uh, <laughs> I just sort of moved on a little bit, and I decided to save it for this this part of the episode. I know you're uh, one, you're one of the frequent commenters, so you're just everywhere, dude. You you're, you got to be on the show. You got to be commenting in the comment section. You just you're everywhere. You're just everywhere. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's you know what do you what are you thinking of the show so far, man? You've finally got to hear stuff. The completed works <laughs> after. Instead of just uh, being on one side of it. Oh well, I really only just listen to my part, you know. I, <laughs> and I then I skip to the comments at the end to see if you mention me. Um, <laughs> it's what uh, I do on Ryan Daly's Secret. <laughs> well, you, you have to. They're so long. Um, no, I. It's good, Chad. It's really good. And I, I, I don't know if you ever got it, but I sent you a private message that said that one thing I like about you. Is that when you're discussing these comics, I can I can hear your smile, and not only do you laugh a lot, but I can actually hear you smiling. Clearly, you're enjoying yourself, and that makes me enjoy myself listening to this, even when we're talking about garbage comics like uh, you know Wild Dog or whatever garbage might be in here. I mean, I'm I'm looking at Secret Six, but I'm not saying anything. Oh, uh, Just read it. <laughs> I'll get around to it. Uh, <laughs> you know, you know, you're doing a great job. You know, uh, I don't know how much uh, you want me to to stroke your ego, but uh, it's better than I could do. Um, I, I, you know, when I listen to your podcast, I'm like, you know, why can't why can't I get my crap together like he does? <laughs> Come on, that, that's <laughs> enough ego stroking now. <laughs> <laughs> No, you're I'm doing not ask- a great job, Chad. I'm, you're doing a great job. No, I'm not asking. I'm not asking our, my co-hosts now, you know, on air for their feedback, uh, you know, and including it in the episodes so that I can have my ego stroke. I'm doing it because there's a difference between just being a listener and being somebody who's involved in the production. But it's not like it's not like it is with me and Mark on the Lantern Cast, where we're we're involved with every you know a lot of the aspects of the show together, you know. In this in this case, you are co-hosting with me on a segment, but that other than showing up to talk about the character in the segment and you know pre- prepping for you know uh, recaps or, or whatever, 
that that ends your involvement in it. You know, you you don't have to deal with the any of the rest of it, hosting or editing or posting or any of that other stuff. Oh, uh, thank God. So so it's it's always it's 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 interesting to me to get the perspective of the listener and the perspective of the people who actually appear on it. Like, how do I sound in post? You know, that kind of thing. And I mean, I mean, I, by I, I mean you, you know, so I don't know, just, just that kind of stuff. It's, it, it's a different perspectives and I like, I, I like different perspectives. So. Well, you sound great. I just, I meant you. <laughs> I sound fantastic. Um, it's, it's, it's a really good show, Chad. You're really doing. It. I mean, it's. I, I don't know. I don't know what more to say. It. I'm, I'm definitely. I realize this down now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know what you're. I know what you're going for, but uh, you know, I'm enjoying it. Thoroughly enjoying it, and I would have enjoyed it if I wasn't part of it. Awesome. This would definitely be on the top of my uh, listen to podcast list, even if I wasn't part of it. Uh, and Probably you know, the only one since it's three hours long. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I've been known to listen to three-hour-long podcasts where people ramble, ramble on about uh, various comic books, and uh, I do manage to find enjoyment in them. Uh, every once in a while, you know, Ryan Daly puts out a super long one, and uh, there's the uh, Who's Who podcast, you know, by the godfathers of our little community here. Uh, um, they don't need. They don't need any more. Like for for real, how many shows do they need? <laughs> like. Come on, that network, for real. Like, you couldn't squeeze one. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I know. Listen, screw those guys. Let's do our own network, man. <clears throat> Let's do the, the Chad Bokelman, uh, J. Jones network. Uh, we come up with a bunch of garbage shows like they do. <laughs> Actually, no, they're all quality shows. I like uh, pretty much every show they put out. Um, so not, that's not fair. I will not say that they're garbage. We're just rambling now, guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's late. I, I honestly had a little too much to drink, so. <clears throat> uh, the, 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 the beautiful acrid smell of burning terrorist is in the air, so. <laughs> <laughs> That's my cue to leave. <laughs> well, before you do, how can people find you across the net? Uh, you know, the old standbys. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm on uh, MySpace. Uh you know, I'm on Grinder. You can find me pretty much everywhere. Uh, I mean, did I say Grinder? I meant J Date. <laughs> um, not even that. No. Uh, Farmers for singles. <laughs> it's, it's, my wife is in the next room, so I gotta really tone this down. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm on the uh, Silver and Gold podcast, which can be found at SNGPod.com. Uh, I am also the semi-regular or the host of a semi-regular Wild Pod, Wild Dog podcast on the same SNG feed available on iTunes and Stitcher um, and at SNGPod.com uh, where I am going over the Wild Dog miniseries and other various appearances. I'm not sure if it's going to be a monthly or weekly or daily or whenever I feel like itly. Most likely the latter because... Uh, I, I, it's a lot to go to go through with the wild dog. Um, also, you can find me on Twitter, FKA Jason, and the show's Twitter account is SNGPod4779. Um, and I will talk to anyone about anything, even wild dog. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for coming on again, Jay. Really appreciate it. And we are going to take a very quick break. 
play a promo, probably for Wild Pod, maybe for Silver and Gold. Uh, it's just, it's a mystery. You'll never know. And when we come back, Superman. Superman. Hey, who likes Wild Dog? Who likes the dog sound? No, 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 no. I'm taking this podcast seriously. There's no way that song will appear anywhere in the show or even the commercials. I'm doing this right. I'm FKA Jason of the Silver and Gold Podcast. On September 17, 2016, a new show will be appearing on the SNG feed. Wild Pod, a Wild Dog Podcast is a miniseries covering the DC Comics character that is sort of their answer to the Punisher, Wild Dog. I'll be covering the original four-issue miniseries, the 1989 special, and various other appearances of Wild Dog. Watch for it at SNGPod.com or the Silver and Gold feed on iTunes and Stitcher. Vance, why do we even own that CD? Okay, break is over, we're back, we're talking Superman, and of course, since we're talking Superman yet again, you know I've got the Kaiser of Kent know-how. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was better than the last one, I'll give you that one. <laughs> the Kaiser of Kent know-how, Michael Bailey himself. Hello, sir. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me back. It seems like so long since we did the last installment. I know, it's been uh, two weeks. Yes. Two Two weeks. All right, so yet another double-page spread. I have exhausted my list of information that we could do for preamble on this. So unless you've got something, do you want to go ahead and take it away? Yeah, th this one's called Aftermath uh, by the same creative team that we've been following for the past uh, five or so installments. Uh, we open on a cop seeing the explosion of the gentleman that detonated himself at the end of the last installment. Uh, and he rides off in his odd-looking motorcycle, which looks actually kind of like a go-bot, but, you know, whatever. Uh, Superman is, uh, meanwhile, is basically, you know, recovering from being stunned by the explosion. So much so that my dogs are freaking out. It wouldn't be an episode with Bailey on it without the dogs in the background. Uh, the police officer finds Superman, who basically explains, hey, I was helping this dude out, and then this dude blew himself up, and I don't know what the WTF is going on. Meanwhile, the guy that Superman saved in the, uh, I don't even want to describe this outfit. He's got like a turtleneck and a button down over it. It's like 1970 crapped all over this guy. He shows up and basically tells Superman that he owes him his life, and at the end of the final panel, he drops down to his knees and bends down in front of... Not in front of Superman like that, folks. Find out the gutter. He says, you are the one true, true Superman. You are our light and our way. Through you, we shall find our salvation. And Superman says, I think what we're all thinking, what? Uh? <laughs> oh, man. That's great. Um, I, so the art is better and worse. Kind of. Uh, I don't. It's hard to. It's hard to pinpoint what. Um, I think some of the distant shots 
are like for instance the cop come the cop car coming up in the background on the bottom bottom left panel. Mm-hmm. That's a little off. Uh, I don't know why we need the recap shot of him protecting this guy, other than the fact that this guy is showing up yet again in in this story finally. And especially if the most noticeable one for me personally is the one, two, three, four, five, sixth panel. It almost looks like Superman is eating that. Yeah. It's funny. It's like the top three panels and the bottom four panels have like weaker detail. And then the detail is super intense in the middle panels. But like you said, it does look like he's like, nom, 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 nom. I like the ash of the people that blow themselves in front of me. <laughs> this is how I get his soul, basically. <laughs> Uh, and it also looks like the cop is trying to write him a ticket. Like, yeah. uh, look, sir, you, you can't consume that here. Uh, this is evidence, man. <laughs> I need to bag that up. But, uh, <laughs> no, it's just, I, I, I just think that the story part of this is fine. Because, again, it's like Superman trying to figure out what the heck is going on. And the guy shows up and then he, like, starts worshiping Superman. You know, just... It, it, it's it's a lot of crazy, uh, but the only thing that really holds it back is the fact that sometimes the art is just so weak. That yeah. second panel, like, how is this the same art team that drew the car chase that we drew, we saw in the beginning? You know, and that motorcycle is ridiculous. I'm <laughs> sorry. It, 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 seriously, it looks like a Gobot. It looks like I forget the name of the GoBot because who gives a crap about the Go GoBots? I say now, pissing off the vital GoBot uh, listening portion of your audience. Uh, Thanks, Bailey. <laughs> right now, across the nation and the world, iPhones and uh, Android devices and other and, and, and other MP3 listening devices are being shut off in, in, in sheer anger at my uh, my 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 making fun of the crappy uh, ripoff of Transformers. Record needles are being scratched off the vinyl. <laughs> you know, if somebody is putting your podcast on vinyl, you need to find that person because they like you. <laughs> yeah, that, I would I would love that. <laughs> Little forty fives. That's how we. That's how we would have done podcasting in the fifties. We would have gone to those record booths that you could record your own record with, and like done like little episodes, and and, and then made copies of it and distributed it to our friends. Um, I would. I. I would. It's. It's funny. Total tangent. And you know what? That's a. That's fine. There's but, not much to this to this segment, so it's okay. But, but can you? Do you imagine? Because you're a fellow, we're we're all fellow podcasters here. You imagine the amount of work you put into editing out ag- extra sounds and making mm-hmm. things sound clear, only to put everything on vinyl. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's it's like one of those things where you know, you know, I I think I think most of us, you know, even those that are not as concerned with the the audio as others, I th- I think most of us want it to sound clear. Mm-hmm. And then you're putting it on something that has a natural, and and I think I am one of these people that grew up with records, so I know how awesome it is to lay that needle down on the vinyl mm-hmm. and hear that that little scratching noise and the music starts. And in some cases, you know, I'm I'm not trying to be a hipster despite my beard, uh, but I I think some music sounds better that way. But to put a podcast mm-hmm. on that, wow, that would just be weird. Now, uh, I, 
I agree with you, and it, it, this is one of those instances, like I was talking about last time, where I may be young, but and I, I, I grew up on vinyl too, but, but because my dad had an extensive record collection and an old uh, Kenwood system with a, with a bunch of you know really tall speakers and stuff like that, and I used to listen to Blue Oyster Cult's Go Go Godzilla like a billion times. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember the name of the band, but there was a song called Long Tall Glasses, which slash I Can Dance. Um, I remember a, a song called Troglodyte, uh, where I think a part of it, I, I just remember, our, uh, we would, as little kids, my sister and I would get a kick out of the, the part in the song where the guy's like, I gotta find a woman, gotta find a woman, gotta find a woman. I don't, if anybody out there knows what I'm talking about, kudos to you. But... But I just remember all that. When you say things sound better on vinyl, I don't own any jazz uh, or any any jazz or well, I do own a blues album. I don't own any jazz on CD or digital. Every bit of jazz I own is on vinyl. I don't blame you on that one. I really yeah. don't. And, I got, funny, and, and I'm going to say this. And I'm going to say this again, Chad. You know, we make fun of you. And poke fun at you because we are all staring at the opposite side of age. You know, <laughs> you, you've got more years ahead of you than behind you at this point. So I don't know. I need to change my diet if I want that to be true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 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 knocking on the door to thirty, and I hear that that's the point of no return. If you want to make a change and make it make it do something for you a little quicker, do it now. Sure. So I'll, I'll give you that. It's much easier. <laughs> no, but I I, uh, I got the Thelonious Monk and John Coltrane album uh, when they paired up together uh, on on vinyl, and just like that's the only way I'll listen to that. And that's not. I realize, guys, that I'm in Austin, which is one of the U.S. capitals of hip, hipsters. So, but I'm not a hipster. <laughs> this is this, there's certain things that that in an unpretentious way can only be heard on vinyl. <laughs> You're not a hipster. I want to talk to you. So, yeah. <laughs> so, let me ask, because I didn't have any preamble for this. This is where we get the hint, and we get the cover next issue, Superman, a god? We get the We start getting it here. Is this where this type of storyline associated to Superman comes in full tilt? Or, now... It's it's impossible to read Superman in the history of Superman not comparing him to either Jesus or Moses. Mm-hmm. So it's not like the concept of Superman being an all-powerful being, you know, with that sort of twisted, uh, you know, biblical type of background coming in has not been touched on before. But is this the first time it's really been explored? Because you know, you know, when you got that teaser for Batman versus Superman, you got the false god. Thing spray painted across his chest, and then you got that, which is what is supposedly a dream sequence of those people bowing before Superman with the the patches on their arms and everything. So when I saw that in the trailer, actually, uh, Action Comics Weekly six oh six, the cover was what the was was the image that popped up in my mind because that's my association to a storyline involving Superman being worshipped as a god. Now I know there was that whole Church of Superman sort of. I don't want to say back back current story uh, during uh, after the death of Superman because it wasn't even really anything, but it was there. There were a couple of scenes involving the Church of Superman, but is this the first time we really see it full tilt? I think it's the first time we see it full tilt. 
in my experience with Superman, this is the first time where, you know, they, they were a writer dealt head on with a cult that is devoted to worshiping Superman as a God. And it is not a coincidence to me that a movie that has either come out or is about to come out, depending on when this episode hits the, uh, hits the, the webs, uh, that there is a movie where you have an image in the trailer of a bunch of people surrounding him in their Day mm. of the Dead makeup, kind of looking like they're they're looking up to him, uh, and the ideas of who Superman is and what he represents to people. Uh, that DC would release a trade paperback that has as its cover a bunch of people worshiping Superman. Yeah, and it's it's kind of interesting that. I, I think with both Man of Steel and before it, the uh, Nolan trilogy, unlike Marvel, which just takes stories that they've told and uses bits and pieces of them in their over in, in their overall story, like Winter Soldier is not a faithful adaptation of that comic book, but there's moments and scenes in there that come out of the comics, but they're, they're, they're in service to the version that the director is saying. It seems like, especially when David Goyer is involved, it's this patchwork of references that somehow manage to make a coherent story, but sometimes you see, when, you, when you know the source material, it's really apparent how disjointed it is. So I can honestly see them looking at this cover and going, we can explore this in the next film. Oh, let's sell a trade. Uh, and, and don't, don't get me wrong. Any of this era that they put into trade paperback, I will buy, mm. you know, I own every issue of Superman from 1970 until today. Okay. So I, I've got these books, but I will support their trade paperbacks as much as I can to keep this stuff in print. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, Speaking of trade paperbacks, I've probably said it a billion times already, but why the Green Lantern stuff is not collected in trade paperback is criminal to me. It really it's, is. Especially considering the first story, you kill off Cat Matui, which is a huge storyline for... So, again, tangent, but who cares? So, Jon Stewart is a great character, but... To be honest, as the Green Lantern fan, and I will say, I will confidently say one of the Green Lantern fans on the internet, Jon Stewart sadly lacks characterization. The only real times we got characterization was when he was first introduced by Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams as the angry, chip-on-his-shoulder, black, out-of-work architect, and then you got the sort of change to his characterization. I wouldn't say it was characterization. You got a change in his backstory in the Justice League a uh, animated series. There were a couple of moments here and there. But every time someone new comes on a book, Jon Stewart is pushed by the wayside because nobody knows what to do with him. But one of the core components of things that have happened in Jon Stewart's past are things like Zanshi and the death of Kat Matui. The number one issue, the first time Action Comics Weekly hits stands in 601, Kat Matui is murdered by none other than Carol Ferris. <laughs> so, forgetting the fact that Kat Matui dies in the first place, 
she's killed. Not she's not just killed. She's murdered by somebody else we know. And it's a huge cornerstone to this character of John Stewart. And it's not collected anywhere. It, what? <laughs> it's funny too because this was the stuff that preceded one of Green Lantern's major renaissances. Yep. Uh, because when Gerard Jones took over Emerald Dawn and then started the the ongoing series, it turned into, uh, you know, Shag and I have talked about this, that, you know, I, I love what Jeff Johns did with Green Lantern. So I'm what I'm about to say is by no means to demean that, because I got to tell you, reading everything up to and including... Uh, you know, the Sinestro War, it's like, oh, this thing is firing on all cylinders. A lot of people were treating it like it's the first time that it ever happened with Green Lantern, and it wasn't, because in 90 mm-hmm. to 92, whoa, <laughs> Green Lantern was huge. Yep. So it only makes sense when you're trying to capitalize on your character that is really doing well for your company. You might want to start putting a lot of his stuff into Collected Edition. Now, to be fair... Uh, I don't know if things have changed because I'm noticing a lot of stuff from the 80s and 90s getting into trade paperback now, mm-hmm. uh, especially if it's Batman related. Uh, but from like 1976 to 1997, when uh, during the, the reign of uh, why am I blanking on that woman's name who was the publisher of DC Comics? Jeanette Kahn. Jeanette Kahn. Thank you. God, why did I, why did I blank on that? Uh, when she brought in the creator's incentives and the royalties, one of the things was about reprint rights. Uh, because, you know, to a certain extent, Golden Age creators were getting screwed in the 70s with all the reprints that DC was putting out of the, oh, that yeah. material. So uh, I have been told by people involved with the book that when they put out that first hardcover of Crisis everyone took a pay cut to make it uh, financially viable because up until that point, unless it was like in the contracts itself, you know, it would have cost more to pay the royalties to the creators than they would have ever seen come back to them uh, from the trade paperback sales. Now, I don't know if things have changed. I mean, we've got this in trade paperback, the Nightwing stuff that comes later. The speedy uh, stuff, I think, has been collected, yeah, too. has been collected. So it makes sense that I, I wouldn't be surprised very soon if you didn't see a Dead Man collection or a Secret Six trade. Or, I don't know, it, it, I don't know how many trades you would have to do to collect all of the Green Lantern material from this, but it's stuff that's out there that people really aren't aware of. And I think... There is a lot of it that, there's some of it's not all that good, but there is a lot of it that's just like, wow, that's a really interesting concept. Like, that's an exciting, you know, Green Lantern story, especially when you got M.D. Bright drawing it towards the end. So, uh, but I'm a mark for M.D. Bright drawing Green Lantern. Uh, That's a a subject for another show that you do. Well, now that you've been ex- you've experienced podcasting with me, maybe you'll come on the Lantern Cast at some point yeah. in the future. I, I wasn't <laughs> opposed to it before, but yeah. <laughs> no, I've been shunned by your entire Fire and Water podcast community. <laughs> uh, 
Okay, so anything else about this particular story now that we've gone completely off the rails? Uh, no, we're, we're, we're really getting into the, the nitty-gritty of the story, and now we've got, uh, we've got once again, a great cliffhanger uh, ending, you know, tr- you know, enticing us to read the next chapter. For sure. All right. Where can people find you across the Internet? Uh, I host a show called Views from the Longbox, which you can find at viewsfromthelongbox.com. Uh, there I talk about just about anything that strikes my fancy in, in terms of comic books. And uh, more germane to Superman, I ho- co-host From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, where Jeffrey, and I, Jeffrey Taylor and I go through every adventure of Superman in the post-crisis era, starting with Man of Steel number one, and we will be ending with Adventures of Superman number 649. Now, you'd mentioned at one point that you covered all of this Action Comics Weekly stuff in one episode. Yes, I Do did. Do you remember what episode that was? Give me a second. <laughs> we'll tell you exactly which one that was. It was, uh, it's kind of funny as I'm uh, vamping. Um, we, I think I mentioned this on a previous thing. Jeffrey and I had a hard time figuring out how to do this because we, you know, we really strive to kind of do things not so much in chronological order of the story, but at least, you know, like chronological of how these things were published. So we actually uh, were trying, for the longest time, we're trying to figure out, well, do we want to do segments and all that? And I thought that was crazy, and I, and, and, and I won't say that too much more uh, now, that, <laughs> now that I'm part of this where it is being told in segments. But you're, you're talking about Action Comics Weekly in general, uh, yes. so that's a little different. We actually waited until pretty much all the way to the end of the Exile storyline to talk about this uh, and, and got to the point where action comics became, you know, a- action comics and not action comics weekly. And it was uh, episode. It's kind of funny. We, we split it into two things. Uh, it was episode 44 of the show where we covered all of the action comics weekly and Lex Luthor's biography in one, in one episode. So, but when you talk about this thing at, at as a whole, instead of just, you know, little chapters of a story, you can do that. That's true. That's true. Uh, whereas here, we're crazy. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, Secret Six. My name is Michael Bailey, and I am still kind of a bad geek. Not a fan of anime. Never seen any of the Harry Potter films, much less read the books. I ventured a little further into the worlds of Star Wars and Star Trek, and I've even managed to watch a little Doctor Who. I've also managed to not watch a single episode of The Walking Dead. So what do I like? Comic books. I have been reading and collecting comic books since 1987, and I've been a fan of superheroes for as long as I can remember. Some would consider this a hobby. I prefer to look at it as what it truly is, a crippling addiction that I may never recover from. Back in 2007, I started a podcast called Views from the Long Box to deal with this borderline personality disorder. Every week or so, I pick a particular comic or issue or character or whatever to talk about them, and then, well, I, I talk about them. It's kind of what a podcast is. Sometimes I'm alone. Sometimes I'm joined by my semi-regular co-hosts, the Irredeemable Shag or Thomas DJ, 
and the permanent semi-regular co-host Andrew Leyland, and sometimes another friend from the podcasting and comic book world stops by to chat. The show is located at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com, where you can find old episodes and show notes and links to my other internet endeavors. You can also find the show on Facebook, and I'm on Twitter under the handle at Bailey's Podcasts. Views from the Long Box, a podcast about comic books or a desperate cry for help. You decide every Tuesday or so at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. All right, guys, we are back from break. Superman is, you know, being... <laughs> okay. <laughs> just just another day in Action Comics Weekly. Uh, and uh, yeah. <laughs> we're, uh, we're into Secret Six. And because we're into Secret Six, uh, that means Ben Avery's back to talk some Secret Six. So. I am back and, and I'm ready, man. <laughs> I am ready. Let's uh, yeah, I am ready for this. All right, go ahead, man. If yeah. you're this excited, let's let's get let's let's keep the momentum going and go did right I, into it. Did I say excited? I, I I'm ready. <laughs> Red, okay, ready. I'm really ready. Hey, you, you want to know something I appreciate about what they've been doing with Secret Six that they didn't do in that first issue? Oh. Um, the logo for the series for for the Secret the Six has been on the yes. first page of yes. almost all of these stories. That first one. That bugged me so much because I didn't realize I had I had skipped a page because I didn't know it was actually part of the story because I had no characters page that were actually a part of the Secret Six teams. Uh, I've really appreciated that. I, I think that that was really smart. I don't know if that's an editorial decision or if that was Martin Pasco realizing something needed to be done or or what that was. But that was smart, smart thing. I really like the Secret Six logo. I'm gonna have to check out Todd Klein's blog and always doing breakdowns on who created what logos and how. And I'm going to have to see who created the Secret Six logo. Yeah, this is a cool logo. I, you know, looking at, uh, on the Wikipedia page, uh, at some of the different Secret Six logos that have appeared, uh, this is my favorite. I, I love the old school. Mm-hmm. It doesn't fit the tone exactly for it's, me. It though. almost looks like it's a horror title, right? Exactly, yeah. 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 No, this is not an action sci-fi thriller logo but it's really really neat it's really cool if that was the cover of a book maybe not even a comic book if that was the the cover of like a i don't know a pulp action thriller or something like that i i would pick it up at least for that logo i i probably wouldn't buy it <laughs> but you know books are expensive these days all right man you want to take it from here yeah sure hey i i split up the plot synopsis in two pl- in two things right now okay. so we've got the old team stuff and the new team stuff so here's the old team stuff that's going on. They kind of go on concurrently. Again, super detailed uh, times and dates. And, you know, you know exactly what time everything is happening. And it's happening all at the same time, except for some of the end events uh, that we get with with Elvis. So old team we'll start with. Now, Raphael is the son of Carlo de Renzi, a member of the original Secret Six. And he is reeling from the news that police have brought to him, that his father is possibly dead after a plane crash, although the police don't believe that he doesn't know anything about his father's travel plans. Because he said he thought that his father was plane, but didn't know anything else. Raphael then is contacted by the mysterious Mockingbird, who 
is still a part of this series. He wasn't really in the last issue, but he contacts Raphael now and he scolds Raphael because Raphael's father told him about the secret. These are dead. But Raphael comes back and says, no, at most five are dead because you are one of those six. And Mockingbird warns Raphael to know his place because Mockingbird supplies Raphael with medication that keeps him out of a wheelchair. Be warned, he says, since Raphael is the only civilian who knows what Mockingbird is doing. And he says, interfere, interfere and you'll pay a terrible price. Screen turns off and then Raphael says, no, you be warned. Bravely. And he says, if you killed my father, I'll find out who you are and I'll kill you. Now, the next morning, finds a package in a safe and that says to my son, Raphael, to be opened in the event of my death. Now, the new team, here's what's coming, what's going on. Vic, the army vet with super eyes and Luke, the Olympian athlete with power legs, have infiltrated Technodyne to get evidence about their involvement in creating horrible, no good, very bad super acid rain. But they were surrounded by guards last issue and have no way to escape. The rest of the team is scrambling to rescue them. And after they have success, there's now they have successfully gotten a confession from Technodyne's owner, the 12 year old wonder kid called Elvis. So now they can come and get their teammates in their giant vertical takeoff landing jet. A brief fight ensues with Vic and Luke and the guards, and they escape into that. Uh, it's for the acid rain creation and they escape and the team comes with their jet. But the leader of that security team or the leader of I guess a lot of the business stuff that was going on at Technodyne uh, has jumped onto the helicopter as all of the bombs that they planted in the, te- the the factory go off and everything is exploding in flames below them. I mean, if this was an action movie, I can picture, you know, the, the, the green screen or the, the rear projection, uh, but it's a comic book so they can do this amazing, you know, explosions and stuff. Um, he's hanging on to the helicopter, but the, the team lowers a ladder. Vic and Luke jump off the helicopter onto this rope ladder while the other guy is stuck on the helicopter and it drops into the fire. Later, the next day, Elvis has a press conference to introduce his new super siding material that can hold up to super acid rain. But while he's doing that press conference, his coerced confession, when he was tricked into giving his confession, by one of the team dressing up as movie monster Clarence the Handyman from was it Midnight Nightmare or something like that. Uh, that gets played on the screen behind him. And he's saying, I didn't want to do it. I didn't know anybody to be killed. I just wanted to be on the news. And yeah, so now he's out. It's, it's done. It's all over. He gets dragged away and we get a thumbs up and all I can I, all I can hear right now is Hannibal Smith saying, "I love it when a plan comes together." <laughs> um, but we are the, the big cliffhanger is actually Raphael's package from his father that says to my son Raphael to be opened in the event of my death. That's our cliffhanger. And I said last episode that we'd be getting into it more this episode. This is what I mean by I like the art. Like this, the, these two pages of like the whole helicopter crash thing, so cinematic. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. Very well done. Yeah. You know, you know, I think last time I was kind of complaining about the art that it wasn't great but wasn't bad. Um in this one, looking at the tech, the the vehicles and stuff like that, um it's that final action sequence, that two-page one and a half page spread where the helicopter takes off, everything's exploding beneath them. 
Yeah, I mean, you can picture them trying to do this as a movie, mm-hmm. in this, and they would. You know, they, they totally would. Um, but it, it would never have, have looked this good. And, yeah, it's, it's Escape from the Guards. That feels a little more yes, stiff. Yes, it does. That, that doesn't feel... There's, there's not the motion. Um, there's not the emotion, really. <laughs> They're, they just do it. They do it quickly. And it looks more... It looks... Honestly, it reminds me of like toy advertisement or like the back of the packaging of like a, a toy for these action figures where it's just these quick snapshots, but it's not a snapshot with motion in it. Yeah, a pow uh, kind of a sequence yeah. here. So, so yeah. here we go. The confirmation that, uh, well, relative confirmation that Mockingbird was a was one of the original secret six members. Yeah. Yeah. So here's what we have now. The mystery. Who is it? And I believe I, I believe that I called it. In fact, I don't just believe that I called it. I remember calling it because I listened to the podcast that I didn't believe that they were dead. Now, some of them might be, but here's the question. Who's mockingbird? Is it, I mean, who is it? Well, my money at one point would have been on Carlo, actually, <laughs> until I realized, oh, wait, no, that Raphael is Carlo's son. And he left him a package to be opened in, in the event of my death. Like if he had if he had staged his own death and murdered his teammates, is he going to be leaving like a secret, super cool package for his son? You know, Maybe to throw him off the, the scent. I don't know. But I'm not convinced it isn't Carlos or Carlo because he's the only one we really got any character from up until this point. And he has a connection to, to Raphael now in the, in the present day. But he's, he's playing Raphael like he's playing the rest of the team. He didn't give him robots, but Raphael has medication that keeps him out of a wheelchair. And if he loses that, he'll be back in that. The impression is he'll get back in the wheelchair. Hmm. So that's, that was an interesting development, but uh, yeah, I mean, if this were an issue, I mean, this is the end right here. And then next issue, we'll find out more. I guess the L connection, but this, this wraps up the story. This, this wraps up that first mission of theirs. And, it's an explosive ending. <laughs> so. so who so who who do you think it is? Well, Carlo is the only one that I really feel like could be it because he's the only one we spent much time with. I don't even remember who the other people are. Was it what? They Hannibal? showed up and weren't what? Is it, was one of Hannibal? Is it is that, oh. do I have the right name here? I don't know. No. I mean, I I can pull That's out a- the 601 but we have an old lady we have a couple more old men i mean these are, these people have aged almost in real time there's the boxer mm-hmm. guy and yeah so all these people you really spend three panels with them individually and then a couple panels with them together and then the plane crashes so it's not a much time to get an emotional attachment to anyone other than Raphael's father because his son, I mean, the, the son is still alive, so we have a connection there. The father had the most screen time, quote unquote. I don't know. 
I, I'm curious though. I want to know. I, I actually, uh, you know, I, I the mystery is enough that I, I want to know. I want to read on and find out. But I'm pulling back. I'm holding back because I, I want to discover it as it happens, and I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves here. But. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. I I feel like it might be the boxer. Tiger, I think his name is Tiger Force, or I don't know what it, what it, what they called him. Tiger. Yeah. I feel yeah. like it. I feel like it might be him. I don't know. Uh, actually, if it's not, if it's not um, Carlo, I, I think it could be maybe that older lady, hmm. Mademoiselle Deneuve. Hmm. Just because that's the most odd. One, yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. That makes sense. So, like, so here, you know, when when we first did the first, when we did the first episode, and the first episodes really, I was saying how like the it 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 felt pointless to open on that party in the woods. Uh huh. Because I it, it, remind me, we didn't really get the feeling that the waiter, the bellhop, whatever you want to call him, <laughs> Raffle, as we know now, that yeah. he was in any way attached to the Secret Six, right? Other than the fact that he was there, you know? Yes, but, but yeah. The, like, he was, we didn't get the idea that he was a son or, or anything like that. Oh, oh, oh uh, since I'm on the, uh, I'm in 601 right now. Uh, King Savage, that's what that was his name. I don't know why I thought Hannibal King. Uh, King. King Savage, that was his name. I think it's probably King Savage. That's who I think it is. Okay. That, that's my that's that's my guess. I don't know. Um, again, I've only read six hundred one through six hundred five, and I haven't yet read uh, the first two issues of the original Secret Six series. Still, so is that the boxer? King no, Savage. No, King Savage is not the boxer. Uh, the boxer is the more square faced, uh, full yeah. full gray. Uh, King Savage has a uh, stripe of silver in his hair. Oh, okay. Yeah. But it, so yeah, I, I I do think we knew that Raphael was his son because he he talks about his father and him when they're when he's canceling and saying we everyone has to leave or whatever it was that uh he talks about his, his my father and I regret this or whatever but but yeah, there wasn't the impression that he had anything to do with Secret 6 because he's not an old man or an old woman. Yeah. <laughs> You know, meeting together for the first time, or you know, one of the few times in the last twenty years. And he does, yeah. He, he said, "My father and I regret any inconvenience." Yeah, you see, but it, again, you, there's no, there's no tie-in to who his father is until right. this issue. So it's it's interesting in the fact that that happens in six hundred one, and then six hundred two happens, and six hundred three happens, still nothing. Uh, and then it takes us, you know, you know, there's a little, there's a little bit and there's a, a little bit in 604 and then it's kind of fully revealed here in 605. So I like that progression. I like that there's really nothing, um, there's no part of the story so far that really feels like it's wasted. Like they, they're coming back to things. They're not just, you know, they're yeah. not just, yes. they're not just putting you in places and introducing you to people who are expendable. You know, there's, there's a yeah. reason for them being included in this story. 
and even in a 24 page comic you have you know short two page scenes maybe where you're like oh what what does that even do well what does that do it sets up something two issues later and but because of this these eight page chunks um it can feel like we we've spent a long time and then you know mockingbird wasn't even in last issue mm-hmm. and and Raphael has had a couple panels or whatever so we can remember that there's something going on with with the plane crash and stuff but it's hard to to run a whole bunch of subplots in in just eight page chunks and unless you're going to just do chapters and and forget about but yeah with this being a weekly comic you if you do that where you don't return to these other subplots uh you know you could forget mm. you know a month has gone by oh wait a minute oh this was still going on this guy's still around and yeah it, it's it's an interesting conundrum to do that those short chapters i think that they've done a pretty good job with it uh here Mar- was it martin pasco mm-hmm. yeah but I feel like he has a lot of hurdles to jump over to make the story work. And it's the same with all of these. It's the same with all of these, with, with, with Wild Dog and <laughs> um, you know, Dead Man, which you were not kidding, man, when you say tonal changes. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to say much more than that, but um, yeah, I don't know where that thing's going, man. <laughs> It's anybody's guess. Flip a coin. <laughs> yeah. Assign a genre to a dice and just roll it. <laughs> Seriously, I feel like next issue could be like a Looney Tunes adventure. And then the following one could be Friday the 13th Part 8. <laughs> and and then you can jump over to Star Trek. Uh, it, yeah, that's all over the place, man. See, now I really, really, Ooh. really have to read the original two... Uh, the, the first two issues of the original Secret Six, because here we see that Mockingbird is is holding yet another person sort of hostage to Enthralled, their to their death yeah. of disability. So it's it's, yeah. it's 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 hmm. And how how does he do this? Like, does he? Do, you know, is this just some sort of genius who has the idea to make these inventions? Does he have? Is he like a you know a a Bruce Wayne, Lex Luthor, you know, millionaire kind of person who has access to this tech. Like, I don't know. I mean, I, I am very, very curious about Mockingbird and I can totally understand from this action comics weekly stuff. Like the, the whole idea, the hook for secret six, who is Mockingbird? I don't know if they, I, I doubt they used it in any advertising because secret six isn't exactly the thing that's going to burn you know, the advertising to make people like, Oh man, I uh, secret six is in there, but I want to read the whole thing. I want to read all, I think there's seven issues of Mm -hmm. it. I want to read it all. I want to see where it left off. I want to see what is it about those issues that caused Martin Pascal or, or, uh, editors or, or what, but to, to say, you know what, we should revisit that. And not only should we revisit it, it's not a reboot. It's, it's not an update. In you know the new gritty 1989 kind of way, you know this is a continuation, <laughs> and like what caused them to say that's something worth revisiting, and I I don't know, and you, you don't get anything from this story 
to, to, to suggest what it could be because the old team shows up and they are old. And that's the thing I realized. I wish we'd been introduced to them in like a two or three page flashback of them in their prime. Mm. And then from there, they all arrive at the party. That's four pages right there. Now, I, I if, and, if we're going here, I have no idea. But it'd be interesting, like with regards to the cliffhanger in this issue, if this, um, if this thing that is that uh, he he left Raffle, Raphael, Raphael, how I was going Raphael, Raphael yeah. okay. Why would I say Raffle? <laughs> <laughs> it'd be interesting if like this is like a letter or like a videotape or something. So like letter, we could get the over the the narration of the letter, but panels of a flashback. Mm-hmm. Or a video, in which case we'd get the the the, the video uh, of of the the old original Secret Six team. Like it'd just be interesting to see if maybe we are going to be getting the a flashback to the original Secret Six, but just not as soon as you would like. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, if this were if this was an issue of a regular monthly comic, we are two. Th- thirds of the way into issue two mm-hmm. with with this chapter here if, if you're going with a 24 page story so i mean you and i haven't haven't even gotten to the end of issue quote unquote two but i i'm curious uh I, i'm curious about what's in the package i mean they've done a good job I'll, I'll just put it that way i'm really intrigued and intrigued enough that i really want to read all seven of those issues i mean It'd be cool to read the Brave and the Bold reprint, just those two. But um, I, 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 I'm trying to track it down cheaply. <laughs> That's <laughs> it hasn't been reprinted. Um, although the Brave and the Bold stuff has been, the Brave and the Bold issues uh, one one seventeen and one twenty, I mm-hmm. think, have been reprinted in a black and white showcase volume. So when I go to my comic shop tomorrow, I'm going to see if they have it. Uh, we'll we'll see, but that that'd be fun because I like anthology books. You know, I don't know if I've admitted this yet on this podcast, but I'm actually a big fan of Secret Wars too. And the reason I'm a big fan of Secret Wars too is because it's a cross section of Marvel in that time. Okay. And so as you're reading it, there's there's issues, there's problems with with all sorts of stuff with the Beyonder, but with all the tie-ins. For me, it was fun to collect them all and then read through and, you know, beyond her showing up in, in the issue of, you know, uh, Luke Cage and, and Power Man or whatever. But I get to see in 1987, this is what Marvel looked like across the board. Micronauts, ROM, Spider-Man, other Spider-Man, other Spider-Man <laughs> stories. You know, it, it's, it's really neat to me. And in some ways, Action Comics Weekly is is kind of that not the cross section of DC but kind of what did DC look like in, in this time this is 89 right mm-hmm. 88 89 yeah i mean so this is pre batman movie otherwise batman would probably be in here uh i'm guessing anyway um this is this is just a couple years after watchmen and after dark knight returns so this is kind of are, are we getting into the gritty grimdark soon? Well, there's some gritty grimdark going on in here mm-hmm. in, in this in this magazine in, as a whole. 
I do have one problem I wanted to point out because I don't want to just make it seem like I'm just completely, you know, rose-colored glasses on this thing. Artistically, right. on the page that says if that mockingbird don't sing, the creator uh-huh. credits box. I f- I, f- <laughs> I feel like that's some wasted space. And it and, yeah. and, and, and normally, you know, especially in like the wild dog stuff, uh, wasted space wouldn't be <laughs> really jump out to me. But I feel like not every panel, because it's, it's especially, you know, there, there are a couple panels here on these two pages where all you get are is, is zero background in a couple of panels. Mm-hmm. But this, I, this, this chunk <laughs> of this page here sort of jumps out to me. Well, but describe it, though, because... It's not, it, it, it's a big pink circle. It's a, yeah, it's a big pink oval. Uh, with a weird stair-steppy lettered uh, credits. That's yeah. it. And, and it doesn't um, even take, like, you could make, you could have made the font bigger and it would have taken up more of that space. Like, I don't, uh, something, yeah. there's something it weird about that. that just, it just really, it really aggravates me visually. I, I like judicious use of white space or, you know, solid colors. Um, a lot of times that's used because why, why do I want to do a background when it's just to be covered in word balloons or something right. like that? Um, this is weird because it's this big blob, this big pink blob that's over a table uh, in like a, a conference room kind of thing. Or no, it's in the, the restaurant. Um, but it looks like it was put there to house something that's going to like fit the design of what it is that oval and and instead it's just well here they are and the words are all on a straight line mm. you know they're not crooked they're not, it, you're right that one is bizarre mm-hmm. it's a weird artistic or lettering choice that's actually that probably is what happened they put it there to have some sort of cool design to it and the letterer was just like, okay, I'm going to put the words here now. And <laughs> didn't, didn't choose to, uh, you know, go, go above and beyond. Yeah. yeah you, you're right. That's a weird thing. All right. Anything else you want? Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and, and that might be why the action sequence, those panels don't, uh, aren't quite as exciting as the, um, helicopter escape sequence. Mm-hmm. Because there's no background in most of those. But boy, that last panel, like you have a very stiff and stilted fighting scene. But the last panel on that page where it's the silhouettes of the guys running, uh, climbing a ladder to go into the hangar where the helicopter is. And they're silhouetted against this explosive background where it's just smoke and flames rising up. That is an incredible panel. That is that is best panel of the of the story and the word balloons too pretty ain't it <laughs> yeah i'm kind of sorry yeah. i forgot the marshmallows <laughs> yeah well that yeah yeah that that feels like 80s action yeah movie it does so uh the other thing i wanted to point out people are dying like there's people in the factory mm-hmm. and they are shooting people i mean this is we it's action movie but when i said a team last time you know, in the A team, no one got shot. They were shooting lots of at people, but they, you know, no one actually got shot. Uh, except for I think B. A. Baracus got shot one episode because it was a major plot point, so he was wounded the whole episode. But um, this, you actually see, like, there's one panel I'm looking at right now. 
uh, Vic, no, Luke is shooting a gun and the guy is right in the panel with him getting shot in, in like the chest. And this is the Olympian who's doing this, not the Marine. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Beyond that, I, I, I'm still trying to figure out what's the deal with the kid. Why is Elvis here? And the only thing I can think of is, you know, this is uh, Wall Street time. You know, this is corporate corruption. Scandals are, are getting more and more uh, noticed. I'm wondering if this is just trying to be a satire for, you know, these people who are doing these these things. They don't even care about – they're not even thinking about the fallout of what they're doing. And, and they're like children maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. But I'm really – I'm confounded by why is this – business owner a 12 year old kid i i want to know i want to ask him why is he a kid (laughs) what's the meaning there's a deep meaning here i feel like i'm richard dreyfus in close encounters with his potatoes (laughs) this means something all right well uh thanks for joining me that's that's it (laughs) (laughs) thanks thanks for joining me for this uh for this episode Uh, where can people find you across the net buddy uh, they can call me. Uh, call me. They can find me at Welcome to Level Seven. Welcome to Level Seven dot com. Talk about Marvel Cinematic Universe and stuff like that. Comic Book Time Machine. I do comic book reviews and commentary and stuff like that. And then uh, Strangers and Aliens, uh, which is my Christianity and sci-fi podcast. So awesome. Yeah, sounds good. Well, thanks for joining me, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, and I'm looking forward to hearing what everyone else has to say about Wild Dog. <laughs> and and dead man and green lantern and all all the bells and whistles you know you talk about the tonal differences in in dead man but wild dog i don't know where that's going either man like i thought i knew (laughs) the tone didn't change but i certainly didn't know where that was going and then green lantern man i feel bad for the green lantern fans thanks who of that of that time like that was their only green lantern book (laughs) <laughs> all right maybe it gets better but yeah all right guys we're gonna go into a break while uh while ben laments the the board <laughs> progression of the series and uh when we come back more blackhawk guys we finally developed our time machine should we use it to go back and see how stonehenge was built or become friends with hitler and convince him to stay in art school or we could go back in time and get the comic books we missed yeah, yeah. The Comic Book Time Machine, a journey back in time to explore comic books, good and bad, whether from seven decades ago or seven days ago. Join our journey at comicbooktimemachine.com. All right, guys, we are back from break. Oh, I forgot. Hawka! <laughs> it's got to be done now. It's it's just going to be a thing from now on. A varying quality. I'm just going to holler Hawka. If your earbuds pop out, uh, it's not my fault. Buy better earbuds. <laughs> so uh, we are fresh off some Secret Six goodness and into some Blackhawk. Uh, and starting off with a feisty-looking redhead, which is always a good start in my book. And because we're talking Blackhawk, uh, I am with Kyle Benning once more, host of King Size Comics, Giant Size Fun. Hey, buddy. Hey, how's it going? I'm all right, I'm all right. Thanks for coming back to uh, to talk about this. I appreciate it. 
Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so Blackhawk, man, uh, we are. Last time we spoke, we were talking about kind of the uh, your history with Blackhawk and tying it into how this this new characterization differs between the two. Uh, the first the first page of this new uh, of this of this story and this issue starts off with a. <laughs> a redheaded uh, red dragon woman with a tiger <laughs> and Blackhawk in handcuffs. So, um, <laughs> where do it's we? A, go? A, it's a pretty exotic scene, and actually, uh, looking back through it, it's uh, pretty reminiscent of like something you'd see out of Johnny Quest, almost the original Johnny Quest cartoons in the '60s, which pick up Future Quest. It's awesome. Oh, all right, man. So, where do we go from here when we leap into this madness? All right, our story picks up right where we left off last time, as you mentioned already. Blackhawk and his employer, Miss Hastings, are being held captive by a woman named Shia Chen Ryan, who's better known throughout Southeast Asia as the Red Dragon. Questions and banners back and forth with Blackhawk, having heard of him and knowing of him by his uh, reputation. Both of her captains, both of her captives, seem to, I guess, catch her fancy, if you get my drift. And, uh,. After uh, she kind of uh, gropes both of them a little bit, uh, her forces escort them to a dungeon and allow them to change and relax before they're summoned to dinner to eat. Now, as they eat, the Red Dragon questions them further and contemplates their offer to transport her treasure out of the jungle so that she can accumulate the the wealth she has for these items. So here she is stuck in the middle of Southeast Asian jungle with all this gold treasure that's only worth as much as someone will pay for it. So she needs to have some way to get it out. And that's where Blackhawk and Miss Hastings come in with their master plan. She also contemplates, yeah, should I let them fly this out or should I just execute them? And this is really really where we get to see Blackhawk shine. He's got uh, quite the silver tongue. He's making concessions on some of her demands while taking verbal jabs at her. And he's definitely capturing the intrigue of their hostess. But is a silver tongue and sweet talking enough to talk them out of their predicament and potential execution? Well, we'll have to wait till next time to find out. This is a weird cliffhanger. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's not even much of a cliffhanger. No, and uh, having read ahead, the first panel of the next issue would have been a much better cliffhanger. Uh, we kind of go out on a one-liner from Black Hawk that's uh, kind of insinuating that, uh, yeah, it's great she has this treasure, but... Uh, it's only a matter of time before someone comes in and takes it from her. So not a too thinly veiled uh, threat potentially there. Yeah. But a, a lot of filler there here. Uh, definitely a faster chapter in this kind of serialized storytelling format. Not as uh, meaty, not as driving the plot forward as the, the previous installment in 604 yeah not not a whole lot to talk about in this in this particular one uh the art is obviously fairly consistent because you know the creative team remember it, it's off um particularly like uh i don't and maybe maybe i'm crazy but the uh, the the second to last page here the middle panel where blackhawk saying nice place you've got here princess does he look weird that's, there's something about that panel that just looks off to me. And I don't know... I don't the second know. to last page or the second page? No, the second to last page. Um, 
where they're just starting their dinner with with Red Dragon, and it's the second to last panel there. Ah, uh, uh, yes, he does a little bit, kind of the way his uh, jaw and neck is. It looks like uh, Marcos missing that a little bit, or that there should be shading under his chin instead of just uh, open space there. Yeah, there is something weird about that whole panel and in the way Janos looks. It's just odd. Um, I do like the the use of black and white in uh, in the night scenes with on, uh, with Andre. That's 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 well done. I appreciate that. Um, who do we know who Red Dragon is? Does she have any other connections? But prior to this or after this issue doesn't matter to me. In the DC universe, have we heard her from her before? Not that uh, I can recall. And so we do get her origin a little bit uh, in this story, and she talks about how uh, her dad was an Irishman that just kind of wandered around Southeast Asia, sleeping with a bunch of women, and including her mother. So she kind of has the whole "I was a half breed, accepted by no one," and uh, takes control. Kind of that's another one of those kind of fictions uh, that's used. But uh, turns out the. Uh, <laughs> A wandering Irishman and a woman from Southeast Asia is a uh, pretty stellar combo with the uh, the way she's drawn here. I think we mentioned it last episode, but as Shag would say, uh, yeah, she's hot. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I def- she definitely seems to have an eye for uh, both Black Hawk and uh, Miss Hastings. A little more Miss Hastings, I think. Yeah, definitely uh, early on. And then uh, when they go to dinner, she says, you've cleaned up nicely. I rather thought you might. Uh, yeah for sure the and i like i like the i don't know why she had them change or at least blackhawk change out of his uniform i know it's gonna sound weird but i think i feel like she was kind of getting off on it a little like the fact that it's the famous blackhawk or something like why would you put him in a suit i don't know it, 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 I feel like the, I feel like the suit's dashing enough, you know, the, the Blackhawk suits are dashing enough without him changing into an actual suit and tie. Yeah, uh, she's definitely a bit of a, a sociopath. I mean, uh, short temper and uh, not afraid to uh, mangle, I guess, or disfigure her workers. We see that uh, she holds a, a knife to uh, Master's neck and uh, says that. You know, never lay hands on what is mine. Chang can tell you what happened to those who dare. And we see a guy with a Age of Apocalypse style uh, Wolverine hand that uh, she's cut off, and so he just has a metal cap on the end of his forearm. I wonder. I wonder if part of the reason she's attracted to Blackhawk is that he very clearly knows the stakes, but he's still pushing her buttons, anyways. Yes, that's really where we see uh, him shine here. Uh, I think last episode i mentioned that uh he kind of falls in between han solo and the comedian and the scale <laughs> kind of being a scumbag uh-huh. how i would compare him in this issue is a clint eastwood western character he is the baddest dude in the room and he knows it and he says whatever the hell he wants and it's things that should piss a woman off but because he's the freaking man they eat it up <laughs> <laughs> i love it i love it um it, it it does he he does give off this this really suave vibe here like almost 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 like bond ish we're like I've, I've got you now mr bond and like it almost seems like bond is not going to get out of it at all 
but he's still keeping his cool and drinking and smarting off and yeah. <laughs> doing all this stuff. I love it. <laughs> uh, a little irritated that we didn't get more with Andre this issue. I know that it's a kind of a slow burn because it is a weekly series and only X number of pages per issue per story. But I feel like we didn't get anything new with Andre whatsoever. Yeah, no, not really. I mean, we're we're exactly those. where we left him, basically. Just, uh, yeah, the, a little bit of an insult to the readers, I guess. We just have the one page of him, and then we already knew he got a note before, and based on how it was structured in the story, we know that that note was a summons from Janos. Now, in case we were too dense to pick that up, it's actually written on the letter this time. Prohaska to Blanc de Mont. Urgent. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's... In case you forgot from last issue, but now, do you get the, he, he he hasn't read this, right? Do you get the feeling that he has, uh, or did he, did he just like read it, and go like, oh, screw Blackhawk, I'm good. I don't know that he read it, and I don't know how much is actually inside, but uh, more of a, it's just a matter of time before the gang gets back together. So it's one of those uh, he's always expecting this letter and knows someday it'll come and. Of course, as often the times in fictional stories, when that summons comes, it's at the most inopportune time. Um, speaking of, we, we spoke last time of characterization, uh, and particularly with regards to Andre. <laughs> Does Red Dragon need a tiger? Or is it just because it's taking place in Asia? Well, she's stuck in the middle of the jungle with uh, all this money from her uh, heroin or opium business. Uh, I guess you got to spend your money somewhere. <laughs> I mean, it's no different than today, I guess. What the hell would you spend $400 million on? Who knows? But the people that have $400 million, they spend their day trying to get to 500 I don't... <laughs> well, Maybe she's always wanted a tiger money to, to do so. Why not? My favorite animal is a white tiger, so I, you know, I might, I might just get a tiger if I had the money. I guess I can't blame her. I don't know. It just well, seems a little stereotypical to me, but okay. Yeah, that that's kind of what gives me the uh, the Johnny Quest vibe. I remember there's an episode that uh, Race and the gang all go to uh, Southeast Asia, and there's this guy who's like a world judo champion, and. Uh, he won with two uh, giant uh, kimono dragons on leashes. Because why not? <laughs> yeah. Um, b before I say what I was going to say, would you call Rich Burchett's style simple? Uh, no. Uh, I guess I would call it a clean line style or simple line style that way. Uh, I mean, he's totally different in style and look or aesthetic than someone like a, a Darwin Cook, Cook, but I would say similar in principle that uh, clean line style that uh, you know uses some shading, it's not over-rendered, that has just a nice classic clean look, and then you're really de depending on your storytelling style. It's more substance than flash, and that's an art style that really appeals to me. Uh, you know, Darwin Cook, uh, Mike this isn't as cartoony as like a Mike Alred, but uh, another one would be like, oh, what's his name? Pa Paulo Rivera, and uh, there's another guy that worked on uh, has worked with Mark Wade a lot on Daredevil. Why can't I think of his name right now off the top of my head? 
uh, that I really like that style. Um, Jason Bone would be another one. See now the reason the reason I bring it up is I I said that I said before I usually have issues with negative space and one of the first panels you get in this story of negative space is this panel where you have just Blackhawk's face and sort of maybe in a profile shot and the amount of emotion in his face even though it's in mostly shadow and side profile. Amazing, because the, the, the bubble specifically, uh, Janos is saying, heroes become painful reminders of the real horror of war. Then they become embarrassments. No one really wants to think of Sergeant York going home to a dirty cabin in the mountains. Like, just the fact that he's saying that with this solemn look on his face, and his face is in shadow, and it's in profile, he's, he's looking down at the ground, like, that, <laughs> that's just really well done. Yeah, that's a very nice character beat. You know, the ever since we've seen him in 601, he's been this arrogant, kind of pompous, in-control guy. And especially here, he's in the middle of kind of his uh, act, sugarcoating this, that, no, we're just, you know, smugglers bringing in, uh, bringing in some booze. This was totally accidental that we landed here. But since we are, here's my proposition. And here you get the... That, that was kind of all, it's kind of been a, a facade or front the entire time. And this single panel really feels like the first time we've ever actually seen him kind of drop his guard and seen the, the true Janos. So it's a, a very nice, nice panel from a dialogue standpoint, but yeah, definitely an art standpoint. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of lines there, but every line has a purpose. Exactly. And con- conveys that emotion. It's a really nice piece. Yeah, I, I had to bring it up because it's just, it. there's so many other panels with so much more art and so much more, you could say substance if you wanted, I guess, but it's just like, for whatever reason, that is just, that just sells it to me. That's, that's the first time we've seen Janos really vulnerable and know what's really going on behind his bravado. So yeah, I, I I I just really I had to point it out. I just really like that. Uh, let's see. I'm just trying to figure out. There's 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 not there's not much here in this story. And I don't I don't want to criticize a comic for what they should have done 20 30 years ago. <laughs> but I just feel like on a weekly series, doesn't every story count in every issue if you want to keep people interested? Or do you just that, take for granted that they're going to buy the next one? Well, the, this does have the benefit of it being an anthology title. You know, it's one of whatever five or six stories. So there's that going for it. It can, you know, maybe rely on a the strength of the book can rely on maybe a more solid chapter in one of the different features. I would say, you know, with it being a weekly format, a weaker. It's not necessarily weaker, but less uh, plot heavy, more of a setup moment i mean you have to when you have a small eight page format and you're doing a serialized where the story continues it's going to fall where you're going to have six of the eight pages not have a whole lot that's just bound to happen at some point i would say that format's a lot more forgivable on a weekly series than it would be now where you're waiting a month for a six issue story that's been so decompressed that it probably should have been told in two three or maybe four issues and you get to that third or fourth chapter and you're nine or 12 bucks in and nothing happens. I mean, as much of a kind of a setup and filler issue there is I've read 20 page comics from 
the modern era that have less meat than this. That's so, uh, that's true. I would say this is uh, more forgivable from that front. Yeah, unfortunately, I live in the era of everything needs to be a six issue story arc, whether it warrants it or not, and uh, getting into some some ongoing stories that unfortunately have do nothing but mark time for chapters two through. Yeah, that's the, the. I guess I'm just hyper focused on it because I, it, you're you're speaking to modern comics. You know, I do the Lantern Cast with my co-host Mark Marble, and we were just talking recently about some of the recent GL issues. And GL that has two titles out right now, and both of them are 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 uh, bi-monthly. There's there's two uh, every month, and. I, w- I kept bringing up how the fact that we are in this and we're getting these two issues a month uh, per each story. And from, let's say, let's call it issue three to four, what you know about the plot and the characters and motivations in issue three is the exact same thing you know by the end of issue four. Nothing has progressed. And that, and that's, a, that's a full modern comic, not just, not just six to eight pages. Yep. So... I, I I definitely get what you're saying in terms of the modern stuff because it's happening right now in titles I'm paying close attention to. So uh, yeah, yeah. The, the the worst offender in recent history now it's been probably close to two years was I, I covered a story that ran through uh, Justice League United uh, that kind of featured the the return of the Legion into the New Fifty Two universe after their titles had been canceled and so I covered that for the Legion of Super Bloggers. And that started out with a super strong chapter. The first half of the second issue was great. And then literally nothing happened in the second half of issue two, three, four, until the last three pages of issue five. And then we had issue six. And was, why wasn't this told in three issues? Instead, I actually think it might have been drug out to six to seven chapters. And it was was a nightmare. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I, I. I, sh- I, sh- I guess I shouldn't be putting the problems. I, I, maybe I'm maybe I'm looking too hard for issues in these uh, issues in these issues because I've heard for so long this negative stigma attached to Action Comics Weekly that I'm just trying to figure out you know issue by issue almost in the back of my mind why people hated it so much. Yeah, I wonder. I think a lot of it probably just had to do with price tag. We also live in an era where one person says something and that all of a sudden becomes the, the end thing to bitch about online, whether people have actually coming from a point of being informed or not. Oh, well, I heard that sucks. So I think it sucks too. Yeah. The vocal but, minority. Uh, yeah. I would be curious to dive into the letters, especially as we start to get in the middle and towards the end of this run and just kind of, Again, you're getting a small sampling, and the editors could be skewing it themselves. You're not necessarily getting a true unbiased sampling of what people's perception was at the time it was coming out. But you guys have touched on it in early episodes. I mean, your two big headliners, at least at this point, have got to be probably Green Lantern and Superman. They're the only characters that really have had their ongoing series for any length of time. And they're kind of uh, marking time with those characters a little bit that they're possibly older versions of the characters, not necessarily representations of the modern characters, the post-crisis characters. Mm -hmm. And so you have a little bit of, uh, maybe you're bringing in readers from the Bronze Age that aren't a fan of the post-crisis revamps, but especially if the Superman is the draw, you know, the two-page splash isn't going to be enough for them to stick around every week, probably. Yeah. And And, uh, so 
you're not really the book isn't really headlined by hot big characters at least in their modern representations so i mean superman's the biggest character in the book but it's not the modern version of superman that's in the three ongoing titles or two ongoing titles at this point i guess we would have just had uh, superman and adventures of superman man of steel haven't launched yet and obviously this is taking up action comics yeah and so it might have just been a, a marketing failure a little bit that the the premise is great but based on kind of the the lineup and the headline characters not really being the true modern representations of it probably had to negatively impacted a little bit i will say so now you, you you mentioned the letters column there is a letters column for the first time in this issue in uh in in issue 605 uh however these are uh responses from readers who were given advanced copies of 601 so it's not a lot to go off of uh in terms of what people feel about the series thus far um which makes sense because you know you don't hear from people until about the third issue or the third or fourth issue of a series. And this is a weekly series. Uh, so, you know, there's always going to be some catch up in terms of the letter column. Now you were mentioning the headlining uh, characters as well and how they, even though it's in a post crisis era, they, they feel like they're part of the pre crisis era. Well, I think that's I think that's partly because and Michael Bailey said this, and, and you, you I, I feel like you kind of alluded to it last time when we first were first speaking about this and your history with the comics in this particular series. To a lot of people, this Superman story in Action Comics Weekly doesn't really fit anywhere. It's nope. it's kind of its own thing. Um, and also, I was talking with Mark about this when it, uh, you know, in regards to the Green Lantern side of things. It's drawn by Gil Kane. Yep. So it's it's regardless of it could be written today, and drawn by Gil Kane, and I could not. You could give me a million dollars, I would not be able to force myself to think of this as a modern GL story. I'm going to see. Gil Kane drawing Green Lantern and immediately place it in a Silver Age context and read it as such. For a character that's so synonymous with Hal Jordan and that period of Hal Jordan, yeah, that's going to be a hard hurdle to get over. Same goes with Kurt Swan on Superman. Yeah. Yes, there was the uh, Earth Steelers graphic novel that uh, Byrne wrote, and I believe Ordway was his Swan's anchor then on that. So you have, you know, two of the big, well, I guess it would have been two of the only uh, art guys, story guys in the post-crisis Superman. So you had, before it turned to uh, Action Comics Weekly, John Byrne was writing and drawing Action Comics, and then he was writing and drawing uh, Superman. And then uh, Wolfman had been writing uh, Adventures of Superman, Jerry Ordway's co-plotting with that, and then penciling it. And then uh, after... Wolfman left after the first year. Byrne and Ordway co-plot a little bit, and then Ordway took over full writing. But so you had, you know, Ordway and Byrne, two of the biggest, uh, especially early on, post-crisis Superman architects involved in the Earth Steelers. So you still had a little bit of that that tone. But obviously, it's hard to get over the Kurt Swan pencils, which I'm a big Kurt Swan fan. But obviously, there's a, a notice, noticeable style difference between Jerry Ordway, John Byrne, and Kurt Swan. So yeah, it's definitely kind of its own little its own little thing, and then you're not quite to the uh, triangle numbering era of Superman yet. That would start with 1991, so we're 
you know, quite a ways out, a couple of years out yet. But you were starting to get more of a interconnectivity uh, between the books that would really kind of take off. Actually, right after Byrne left with the uh, Exile storyline, that's really when the, the books started to really flow one into the other. So, yeah, this one definitely sticks out a little bit from that. I also feel like I think the I think the strength of Action Comics Weekly so far comes from the tonal difference. Um, not I, I get that when you see Action Comics Weekly, you hear that it's going to be an anthology series, it's going to be a bigger issue, and you're going to get it weekly and all these things. You can get really excited, and then you see the lineup and go, oh, wait. But then you got to you. I think you feel like I feel like you got to think about it a little more in the context of the tone of each of the stories. With Green Lantern, you're getting like a space Silver Age goofy GL story with you know drawn by Gil Kane, like I said. Superman, well, Superman's always been in action comics for the most part. You, that, that's kind of your standard fare. Plus, it's only a double page spread every issue, so it's not like there's a lot there for you. But for the people looking for Superman in action comics, there it is. Um, Black Hawk, it it's totally different from everything else in in the in the comic. I don't. I hesitate to call it a war comic, but it's definitely like a swashbuckling adventure type comic so far. Um, yeah, it's much more of a kind of aviator, aviator uh, adventure. It kind of reminds me of uh, a different quality feature uh, from the Golden Age, been like Hop Harrigan or uh, Steel Evan, Eagle Evans, excuse me. And then there was a Steel Harrigan uh, feature. Those were kind of more straightforward man of action, kind of a Indiana Jones type character in a plane. It's much more in line with this one. Yeah, and it's the the series itself really kind of harkens back to more of a golden age format where, yes, Superman was the cover feature and primary draw to Action Comics, but you also had you know a Zatanna story about magic, you had a Western story, you probably had a straightforward adventure story, and then you had a text piece that, who knows what that was you know covering. Yeah, and depending so, d- depending on where you are in the story, because Dead Man goes all over the friggin' place. Uh, yeah. Dead Man is your your supernatural, maybe even horror title. Wild Dog is for the people who are looking for the dark side of '80s comics, for the most part. Now, I'm not saying it's as dark as other things that uh, in, that are happening in '80s in the '80s at com- in, in comics at the time. But you know, for the people who are looking for the mercenaries and the the guns and the violence, you know, you have the Wild Dog. Secret Six is your like mystery title uh, almost and I, I i hesitate to call it that but i mean it, it just evokes such a mystery type feel to it despite what it's you know actually is i just I, maybe it's just the 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 uh the title logo for <laughs> secret six or something but it almost feels like a mystery title um so it's just there's there's so many these there's there's a bunch of different stories and you look at these characters and go uh eh, i don't really care but Tonally, they're so different from each other that it, it is a nice sampling. So it's hard for me to it's it's hard for me to to get the it may be the vocal minority, but it's hard for me to understand the vocal period side of the people who can't seem to remember this series fondly so far. Maybe I'll understand yeah. it later, but as of right now, I just don't get it. Yeah, it seems like most of the people that are harsh on it seem to dislike it for everything it's not, but then you have to keep in context that uh, looking at it from a lens of the time it came out, there was nothing, at least from Marvel and DC, on the stands like it. There was nothing that gave you that sampler. Probably the the closest thing would have been an independently published feature called Comics Review, which collected various uh, 
newspaper strip comics. So you kind of have that serialized format and, and it would collect uh, big chunks of those. I believe that was coming out uh, bi-monthly. But uh, yeah, they collect all over the place. There was like a, the Batman newspaper strip was collecting the, the Spider-Man newspaper strip, the Modesty Blaze, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, newspaper strip that uh, started in uh, 1990, ran through uh, uh, 30 issues or so of Comics Review in the early 90s. So that was really the, I think that started like 1984, I mean, it was independently published, so definitely not uh, having anywhere near the, the distribution that Marvel or DC did. But that would have really been the only kind of eclectic, multi-genre, serialized format issue out there besides Action Comics Weekly. So especially from Marvel and DC, it kind of stood alone. So you would think there's a little bit more of appeal and experimental that should count points in its favor on that front. Yeah. It was different than everything else on the stand, but it seems like... A lot of people's criticism is that it was different than everything else on the stands. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. All right. Well, anything else you want to say about this story? No. Uh, unfortunately, it's a uh, you know a little shorter one, but the uh, yeah, not a lot there to not, the, not the action and the the plot get moved forward uh, quite a bit in the uh, the next issue, and that, that one's a, a lot more fun. So, looking forward to uh, covering that one uh, in the future. All right. Well, before we let you go and move on into listener feedback, where can people find you across the net? You can find me at King Size Comics, Giant Size Fun. Blogspot.com. I have various shows there, or you can also uh, follow that podcast and all the shows on it on one feed um, by searching for King Size Comics, Giant Size Fun on iTunes. And then my other show is the Superman and Captain Marvel Power Hour podcast. If you Google that, you'll find it, and you can also find that uh, show on iTunes. Awesome. Well, thanks so much again for joining me, Kyle. I really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun talking to you. And uh, I guess we'll uh, talk to you next time. Sounds great. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Hawkeye! (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, listener feedback. Hi. I'm Kyle Benning, and I love comics. In fact, I love them so much that I ramble on about them on a number of podcasts, all on one feed, found under the King Size Comics Giant Size Fun banner. I talk about comics with extra page counts, like Treasury Comics, Prestige Format Books, DC's Dollar Comics, Marvel's Giant Size Specials and King Size Annuals, and much, much more. I also love to talk about DC's Crisis on Multiple Earth crossovers, free comics from Special Promos, Free Comic Book Day, Star Wars, My Life as a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fan, random comic book back issues, and many other elements of geek culture that happen to strike my fancy. There's new content usually dropping at least once a week, and it's all found on one feed. You can subscribe via iTunes. Just search for King Size Comics, Giant Size Fun in the iTunes Store or podcast app on your iPhone. Otherwise, you can follow the podcast at the King Size Comics, Giant Size Fun blog headquarters, available at www.kingsizecomics.giantsizefun.blogspot.com. That's all one word, King Size Comics, Giant Size Fun.blogspot.com. Or follow on Facebook by simply searching for King Size Comics, Giant Size Fun. So for snappy review and discussions on comics, new and old, usually done from the front seat of my car or my lunch break at work, check out King Size Comics, Giant Size Fun. All right, guys, and that is going to do it for this episode of the Action Comics Weekly Podcast. Thanks yet again to all of my guests for coming on to the show. I really, really, really appreciate it. Now on to listener feedback. 
First from Twitter, new Twitter likes, retweets, and favorites came from Christopher Warden, Richard Field, Coffee and Comics Blog, Longbox Crusade, Mountain Flower, KSCGSF Podcast, King Size Comics, Giant Size Fun, The Hammer Strikes, Two True Freaks, Silver and Gold, Tracker Talk, and Codeman. Now, when I first apologized for the lateness of episode 604 on Twitter, Mountainflower said, Considering the length of the Action Comics Weekly podcast and number of guests, getting episodes out every two weeks is an ambitious goal. I'm sure we'd rather have a good show later than a poor show now. You're doing some good work, so hang in there. Thank you very much, Laurel. I do appreciate it. And as you will hear me say multiple times throughout this listening, uh, this listener feedback segment, I do, do, do appreciate everybody's kindness and patience with me in getting this out. Alan Middleton posted and said, and tagged Kyle Benning and said, good job picking up the Blackhawk uh, responsibilities on the Action Comics Weekly Show. To which Kyle responded, thanks. I haven't got a chance to listen yet. I rambled a bit, so... Chad must have done some great editing. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> and Alan said he was glad to tag out to another Blackhawk fan. And then they went into some asinine rambling about some, I don't know, incapable Latvian dictator. Who the hell cares? Uh, the Jack responded and said, I believe that in Green Lantern Corps 224, all the lanterns lost their rings. So John didn't have one in Action Comics Weekly. He's referring, of course, to the question I asked last episode to Mark about how Jon Stewart didn't have his own ring and why Hal's ring flew to Jon. And I didn't, you know, I didn't recall that. And um, I, you know what? That does sound vaguely familiar. So I'm just going to trust you on that, sir. You, you said, I believe, and that's right. I, th- I think... I th- I think that's right. I'd have to dig around a little bit in my long boxes to find that issue. Because I do have a lot of Green Lantern comics, as I'm sure you can imagine. So I'm pretty sure I've got that issue. So I'll have to read it myself. But I thank you so much for reaching out with that information. There's ever there's always somebody out there who responds to something I'm asking. And um, this time it's you, the Jack. So I really appreciate it. Comics Couplets tagged me on Twitter and said, Couldn't unbox this any faster. They tagged Tomorrow's and said Dan Spiegel, a steal at 70% off. Evidently, there was like a whole like uh, issue devoted to the work of Dan Spiegel from Tomorrow's, which I completely missed out on. And of course, the reason I'm being tagged in this tweet is the work that Dan Spiegel did on Secret Six. Since I've started this podcast, I've done a lot more research into the history and works of, in particular, Dan Spiegel. I really need to get on that because... I really enjoy his work on The Secret Six. Uh, I know Ben is a little more iffy than I am. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, it's, it doesn't sound like Ben hates the art, um, but it, it doesn't sound like you're he, he, like Ben's a particular like big fan about it. Um, but I really enjoy it, and it makes me really want to see more work by Dan. And reading in his list of credentials, I think that doing something like. Uh, this tomorrow's issue is a great place to start instead of just reaching out and grabbing like some random trade or something. Thanks to everybody who uh, tweeted, retweeted, liked, favorited, uh, replied, and did all kinds of good stuff for me over on Twitter. I really appreciate it. Now moving over to Facebook. Facebook likes and shares came from Martin Gray, Mario Benzi, 
Gotten Shiorin, David Ace Gutierrez, Pat Sampson, David Foster, Clinton Robson, Gord Tolton, Kyle Benning, Doug Zavisha, Max Romero, Keith G. Baker, Gene Hendricks, Jay Jones, Bradley Austin Null, Michael Lane, New York City Comics Geeks, Mame Rosalini, Comic Book Time Machine, Ruth Sutherland, Al Sedano, Michael Skiraduro, Randy Cottabish, Brian Snook, Mikkel Withers, The Superman and Captain Marvel Power Hour, King Size Comics Giant Size Fun, Coffee and Comics Blog, Mark Marble, The Long Box Crusade, John Smith, Wild Pod, a Wild Dog Podcast, Silver and Gold Podcast, and Alan Middleton. Now, when I apologized over on Facebook about the lateness of the episode uh, last time, Gord Tolton reached out and said, For all the grief we fans have given you all year, I do appreciate your Black Hawkian efforts at maintaining your schedule. It's been a very entertaining ride. Gord, you always got my back, buddy. I really, really appreciate that. Alan Middleton said, No pressure, man. Take your time. Thank you, sir. Uh, with all the podcasts you do, I'm sure you're aware of the uh, sort of undertaking that something like this uh, takes out of you. <laughs> Jay Jones said, I didn't see this post late last night, Chad. I, you must think I'm the pushiest freak ever. He's referring to, of course, all the messages and stuff he uh, sent me um, privately and stuff saying, you know, hey, are you going to post uh, so on and so forth? And don't worry about it, Jay. Seriously. No big deal. And Martin Gray said, don't worry, no one is judging. I feel like that in and of itself could theoretically be a judgment. <laughs> now, when I actually finally posted the link to the new episode over on Facebook, Gord Tolton was yet again one of the first people to reply. He said, you forced poor Jay Jones to accept what he would do for the wild dog and create another podcast. You've driven the poor guy out to seek sporting goods in army surplus stores and started an account with Soldier and Fortune. You and Mark already have the Lantern cast. All we can do now is for the Professor Alan Middleton. All we can do now is for Professor Alan Middleton to step up his game and give Blackhawk a show. You know, I'm actually all for that. And then says, perhaps we can uncover that Zwerg was actually a Latvian member of the squadron. Think about it, Prof. A Doomstat stock holding in Blackhawk Express, with our own island located in the... What? Who's that? Gak, cough, eat, choke, thump. Gord Tolton then responded again and said, Chad, you may return to your podcast. Gord Tolton is just fine and will cause no further disruption. From a Latvian consulate to Canada. <laughs> what is this Latvian... Some stupid Marvel dictator. I don't, I don't know. It, it sounds like some blowhard... To which Alan Middleton replied, Doom appreciates your suggestions. I actually, I don't know who this Doom guy is, but I really do appreciate that suggestion uh, that Alan uh, step up and uh, put out a Blackhawk show. I am all for that. Um, do it with Kyle Benning. No, seriously, he really would probably be down for that. Martin Gray says, A hiatus makes sense, but why are November and December the busiest months for car buying? <laughs> um... And then when I posted about the lateness of this show, Jesse said, we'll survive, Chad. We know it'll be worth the wait. Hope you made some big sales today. So both of those guys are referring to my day job as a car salesman here in Austin. So why are November and December the busiest months for car buying? 
couple of reasons. Uh, and I, this is, I've been told because my time in the car business for the longest time has been as a technology expert. Basically what my job was prior to starting to sell cars in the month of June was basically when you bought a car, I got in it and taught you how to use it. Navigation, voice recognition, Bluetooth, OnStar, XM satellite radio, like, you know, all these various things. I taught you how to use the entertainment uh, and safety features of your vehicle. Well, when I started selling in June, you know, obviously I haven't had experience selling during the holidays, but from what I've been told, November and December are the busiest for car buying on the face of it, mostly because people want to, you know, make a big grand gesture for their significant other or something. And yes, the economy may be eh, eh, a little iffy. But I live in Austin, and Texas is, I believe, I I don't keep track of census data, but I believe Texas, population-wise, is the fastest-growing state in the nation, and Austin has a pretty high job market compared to the rest of the country. In fact, I think we're actually considered sort of like a secondary Silicon Valley in terms of the tech jobs and stuff and companies that have moved over here to Austin. Um, you know, we have a lot of wealthy people out here, um, with money to burn. Um, and it's not just that some people maybe will, you know, even if they, they're not particularly wealthy, will buy a car during Christmas. So it feels like their family got something really nice for the holidays. It's also because, You've got the Thanksgiving break, you've got the Christmas and New Year's break, and the reason, you know, people don't want to get off of work during the weekday and then go to a car dealership and spend two to three hours, at, if or more, at the dealership signing paperwork and doing all this stuff. They'd rather do it when they have more time off so they can get other things done through the day instead of, you know, whatever it may be. Well, with holidays, with several days off in a row, you get that option, Um in addition, it is Texas, so it's a little colder outside. People are more willing to walk the lot uh, and check out vehicles, get in and out, instead of sweltering in the heat and the concrete, getting in and out of hot cars that have been sitting out in the sun all day. They're a little more mobile. They're a little more willing to be outside and poke around the cars that they want to take a look at and consider and so on and so forth. Um, those are some of the reasons that people... November and December are the busiest for car buying. Part of the reason I'm going on this hiatus is because, like I said, these are the busiest months and I need to focus on my job. Another reason is the past several months have been kind of slow for me, selling-wise. I haven't been hitting my goals that I that I set for myself, and it's I'm still able to pay my bills, but just so. So I'm trying to focus more and I think by focusing more, maybe I'll just barely hit my goals a little bit more and plus some. I don't expect to sell like 30 cars or something, but my goal is 15 every month. That's my goal is 15. And this past month, I sold 11. The month of September, I sold 11. It's been a fairly slow uh, few past few months for car buying, guys. And I don't mean just for me. I'm not the only person at my dealership who's not hitting their goals. And I don't mean I'm in, you know, a minority of like five or six guys who are not selling their 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 goal. A big
big portion of us aren't able to reach our personal goals because things have slowed down a little bit, which I've been told from a couple of people might be because it's an election year. I don't know, but I've been talking too much about the car business. Let's get back to some podcast stuff about Action Comics Weekly. I, if you guys have any other questions, I'm obviously happy to answer them on the show. But that's sort of why the hiatus, in terms of my personal job, uh, is happening. Now, over to the WordPress page, actionweeklypodcast.wordpress.com, where people have been leaving some comments on, directly on the posts. And first up is Gene Hendricks, who says, I find it amusing that even when I don't leave feedback, I still manage to have feedback read in the episode. To which I replied on the website, and I'll reply here. I find it amusing that the first comment I get on this episode isn't actually episode feedback, and it's even from someone who actually listened to the show. Crazy, right? MTC says, I found myself buying a good old American hot dog thinking about Wild Dog. Today I bought a Polish sausage thinking about Blackhawk. Even my big belly loves this podcast. You talked about your rotating cast of guest hosts, and I love that idea. Personally, I don't mind if a guest finishes a story arc if they are able to. You mentioned moving Doug to Secret Six, and this would require him to read that. I commend your tactical skills, as you seem bound and determined to make him read that. I just want you to know that I've been paying attention. Thank you, MTC. It's always nice to see another name jump into the fray. So, yes. And Doug will read. Will read. Secret Six at some point. And I don't mean that like he's. There are plans for him to start covering that, that uh, story or anything. I just mean it like in an ominous fashion, like he's going to do it. <laughs> FKA Jason, hashtag Wild Dog Expert says, I have just five words about shaking up the guest host from my cold dead hands. Kidding aside, I'd love to hear from any of the hundreds of thousands of Wild Dog fans out there. I know I can't be the only one passionate about this quote-unquote superhero. I love that I was included in this, and no matter what the future holds, being a part of this show has been great fun for me. Chad is a great guy, and this is an ambitious project that not a lot of people could have pulled off. Eh, great guy. Yeah, maybe. Ambitious project that not a lot of people could have pulled off. How many podcasts related to the Fire and Water community have you listened to? Because a lot of guys out there could have pulled this off. Guys and girls could have pulled this off. <laughs> and I don't mean the Fire and Water Network. I mean, they're obviously included in the Fire and Water podcasting community. But I don't mean just mean those guys. But I appreciate the compliment nonetheless. MTC says, I should also say that the hosts and guest hosts have been great so far. And it wouldn't bother me a bit if any of them stayed with their characters for future story arcs. For future story arcs. Like, for example, if you had a wild dog expert that covered every single Action Comics Weekly appearance. Doug's voice is also cool. Doug's voice is kind of cool. I'm really, like, every time I've heard Doug appear on any other podcast, whether it be uh, Waiting for Doom or Ryan Daly's Secret Origins podcast or, you know, anytime he's guested anywhere, I'm always taken aback that Doug doesn't have his own show. And he really should. Um... But I guess with Ryan's upcoming uh, It's Midnight, the podcasting hour, and the fact that Doug will be, you know, drafted into 
the uh, the rotation and covering the dead man stuff. I guess technically he's guest hosting his own podcast, so at least a certain segment. So I, you know, a win here, a small win is better than no win, right? <laughs> and finally, Jay Jones says, "I like the cut of your jib, MTC." Personally, I'd like to take a crack at Green Lantern in the future. He has a little adventure with Captain Adam in the pages of Action Comics Weekly. Stop reading ahead. <laughs> and that is going to do it for this segment of feedback for the Action Comics Weekly podcast. No reviews this episode, but hey, I've got five over on iTunes from the American crew, one over in the UK, none from Canada. What is up with you guys? One over on Stitcher. So it's a new podcast, and that's nothing to shake your head at. So if you guys haven't left a review yet for the show, please, please, please head over to iTunes for your particular country or whatever and leave a review for the podcast. And when you do, please, please, please let me know over on the Facebook page or directly on a one of the posts on the website itself at actionweeklypodcast.wordpress.com. Same with... if. Same if you're leaving a review over on Stitcher. I would love to be notified by you directly if you have left a review for my show over on uh, either of those sites. In particular, as it relates to iTunes, if you are leaving a review for me from a country other than the United States, Canada, or the United Kingdom, please let me know. I would also prefer it if you are in either of those countries quote-unquote countries that you please 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 also notify me when you leave a new review uh, on the off chance that I don't see it when I'm collecting feedback for a listener feedback segment basically if you leave a review for me on either iTunes or Stitcher no matter where you're from please let me know you're welcome to follow me over on Twitter my handle is at Cage Gnarly. That's at C-A-G-E-N-A-R-L-E-I-G-H. And you're welcome to use the hashtag ACW Podcast to find some relatively related tweets over there as well. Or you can just talk to me about comics over there as well. Or like the Facebook page for the show, the Action Comics Weekly Podcast, and leave your comments over there as well. Uh, on the posts related to the episode of your topic choosing whatever you're listening to at that moment don't forget guys the action comics weekly podcast as i said at the beginning of the show is going on a hiatus during the months of november and december that means there will be no episodes posted during the months of november and december so if you have not yet listened to all the episodes you're more than welcome to do so. This gives you plenty of time to do so while you're on the road with family, in the air, or just sitting at home. So, thank you so much for listening in and leaving your feedback. And thank you to everybody who will be leaving feedback on this episode in advance. And thanks one final time to my guests on this episode for showing up and making this podcast what it is. Alright guys, I'll talk to you in two weeks.
Facebook.